Green Peaks, the Twin Peaks podcast, whose hosts, or well, one of them anyway, felt a little bit like Shelley Briggs holding on for dear life as Part 11 sped off towards an ill-advised confrontation with its cheating husband with a gun in its lap. Okay, that went a little What's off the rails at the end there. I do not understand that metaphor <laughs> whatsoever. It was a stretch. I'm really tired. Okay. I'm really tired. It is. What's, what's yours? Uh, your mine intro? is a Twin Peaks podcast that successfully predicted something two weeks in a row. So we're basically the best podcast out there. Just, what, just when, when did out. we predict this week? I predicted last week that, or no, two weeks ago that Diane uh, would be bad. Yeah. And that's kind of been semi-maybe proven. Okay. And I predicted, what was it this week? So the Mitchum brothers were the Mitchum brothers were going to help out Dougie, yeah, Dougie and Cooper, uh, which they have done. I think that's just blind shit luck. If no. you get three in a row, then you can start okay. throwing well, out I, best. I will pick something this week and be totally wrong, but until then, we have a pretty good record going for us. We, I mean, he's also made a dozen other predictions that have all been wrong, but yeah, actually, it's funny because we we didn't do a Bix predict predicts this week because Twitter, we were yeah. we were off in Austria for mm-hmm. a couple of days and the week kind of. Got away from us. Got away from us a little bit. I will say we we were kind of hoping for a little bit of a time travel slash alternate dimension storyline to crop up in the return, but I I haven't seen a lot of evidence for that yet. The only time travel that seems to happen with regard to the return is how quickly that hour that you're watching Twin Peaks goes by. It's the only time travel that happens. (laughs) You just zip through that hour. It's crazy. Yeah. that was a really lame joke again. Nope, I, I liked it. I yeah. think we should roll with it. Um, let's start with our initial thoughts. Yes. The episode, What we, we had disagreement on yeah, this. Why yeah, why don't you go first? Okay, I thought, um, I we've read a few comments, some feedback, uh, other people, other viewers, other uh, podcasters even. Everyone seems to be in agreement. This was a really great episode, and I totally agree. I think it had, it felt like an episode in, in the way that, uh, Twin Peaks has been aping kind of prestige t- TV mm. uh, since the return. Um, it felt like like a, a, a second to last episode of, of Game of Thrones. It had this like really advanced kinetic energy to the characters and the plots and even the individual scenes. Like there was just a lot going on mm-hmm. um, and they would go in interesting directions and it was just keeping you glued to your seat. It had that, you know, really, uh, yeah, just seat gripping energy. Uh, attention zip yeah strangling zip, zip exactly to the whole thing and i thought that was that's something that's been missing we we kind of talked a little bit in the last podcast i think uh, about how the last few episodes have felt a little bit more well, expositiony yeah 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 there's a little bit of basil exposition in in the <laughs> in some of the scenes uh more than you would probably add to this kind of uh dish uh, yeah, a little too much basil <laughs> for this dish. Um, oh, geez. <laughs> see, terrible jokes all you around. You missed your calling as a dad, uh, maybe, I think. Maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and this episode kind of picked up on that and improved it and, and added that 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 kick and that oomph back to it. Right. I mean, it also had some, you know, there were some genuinely scary moments, yeah. like the the woodsman killing right. uh, <laughs> William Hastings. Well, even Hastings just the woodsman yeah, period. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and They're then, just freaky characters. And then the little girl. It's a young woman, maybe, well, in the passenger seat of the car. Jubal Brousseau of Counter Esperanto called it the horror in the front seat. And mm. I love that because she doesn't have a name. It's just this 
this yeah. horror in the front seat, yeah. which is literally what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. So true. Um, Terrifying. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot of different uh, ways it was going. and, and Some interesting stuff, too. Like, we mm-hmm. finally find out that Shelly and Bobby are or were married. Maybe they are still married. They're well, she separated. still has the last name, yeah. Yeah. But she's a Briggs and Becky is their daughter. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Definitely. Kind of what, what a lot of us suspected. Yeah. That it wouldn't be Leo. But, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. No, and there definitely were some interesting things, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I Yeah, I think there was a lot to chew on there, for sure, still. Um, but you you had an, a different initial reaction. When we watched it the first time, yeah. you, you came to me afterwards and you're like, I don't think I liked it that much. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to describe why yet? Not really. Not really. And I feel like I wrote on Facebook today that I was having I was struggling with this one because I feel like everybody loves it so much. And I'm like, what am I missing? Like, what what is everybody else seeing that I'm not seeing? And because it has everything that I love about Twin Peaks, it has, like you said, all these great plot lines. It has a great Mitchum Brothers um, comedic scene. Comedic yeah, scene. Well, yeah. their whole the storyline whole... is great. Yeah. Um, I love all the Dougie stuff. I have no problem with any of the Dougie stuff that's going on. Uh, there's some supernatural stuff thrown in there. You got Truman and Hawk on on their vision quest, kind of thing. with their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the stuff with Shelley and Bobby and Becky, I loved it. It was like an, a beautiful callback to some of the original characters from Twin Peaks. Um, the horror elements, like it 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 had everything that makes in in roughly equal measure too. Mm-hmm that makes a great Twin Peaks episode. So I have no idea why I just didn't feel right about it. It just felt off. And I think, I mean, I was wondering if maybe part of it is like, I have synesthesia and some of like Aiden always gets mad at me because he'll play a song for me and I just won't like it for some reason. I can't tell him why. It's just because something about it rubs me the wrong way. It's like a sonic uh, thing that just gets at me and maybe that there was something to this that I just can't explain it tastes brown to me it doesn't feel right like it just it just makes me feel not good um, it could have been because we were watching it at three in the morning and I didn't want to wake up uh, but we just rewatched it and I, I, I still just I mean, it's better I feel better <laughs> about it but I still can't really explain it and it is adhering to the three-act structure, right? I mean, we're, we're nearing the end of the second act, which, I mean, if you want to rough, roughly break it up into six episodes, it might be a little bit more closer to the middle of the second act. Mm-hmm. But you're getting a lot of heavy exposition, and you're getting, you know, all of the, the big plot introductions have been done, and yeah. now you're kind of just winding your way through to the, to the, the climax, and then everything kind of winds down from there, right? If, if you go by a traditional three-act structure. Yeah, but we've already seen that he's not, they're not playing by a traditional structure. I mean, no, part no, no, eight no. threw that all for a loop. Yeah, of course. But I'm saying it's it's still, I mean, we're still looking at this in, in if you're playing the long game, it's part 11. It's the 11th hour of an 18-hour film. So it's, it's, it is really hard to judge it on its own. You kind of have to look at it in context. But at this point in any story especially when I'm writing my own stories, I tend to be, I get bored. Like this is the mm. point when I get bored. I just want the stories to end. And, and and when I'm writing them, it's more like I just want to finish so that I have something to read that I want to read yeah. <laughs> at the end of it all. Maybe that's what I'm, I just, I just want to get to the end so I can see how these pieces are all, I mean, I'm just impatient. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Okay. But it did, I did warm up to it after the mm-hmm. second viewing. I think it, um, it's still like, it, it, it 
has everything in it that I love about Twin Peaks. It just yeah, just tasted brown. Okay, that's okay. all I can say about it. That doesn't fun. make any sense to anybody else, but in my head, <laughs> that's how it is. So. Yeah. Okay. And not like chocolatey brown. It's like <laughs> it's muddy brown. Muddy it's, brown. It's dirty brown. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. No, I okay. gotcha. There's fire where you are going. So uh, we start with uh, well, we start off in. Twin Peaks are around there, near yes. the Fat Trout Trailer Park, perhaps. Yep. Um, and we Do you notice how there are a lot of people who live in trailers? Yes. There's a lot, and I don't even know if they're all from Fat Trout Trailer Park. They don't look like yeah. they're, they're in trailers in a park. They're, like, in the woods. There's roads, but they're not really connected in a community or anything. Yeah. I don't I don't know. that. That's interesting to me, because in, in the original series, you had a lot of people who lived in these nice houses, Yeah, it was right? all houses, yeah. yeah. But very few of the characters live yeah, in houses right. these days. True. That's interesting to me. Just wanted to point that yeah, out. Yeah, no, no. Because it, you're right. We start off in a trailer park mm-hmm. again. Um, and there's three brothers mm. uh, playing catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very wholesome. Very wholesome. American very, scene. Yes. Very much, uh, you know, the the fire truck going by in blue velvet. This is, you know, a very kind of well, yeah, even, pastoral American Even to the point thing. where, like, the older brother is, like, encouraging the yeah, younger brother. Yeah, is yeah. like, ah, oh, good job. Yeah, oh, you almost had it. Yeah, like, yeah, keep going. Uh, yeah, it's unlike so most of the things that we've seen so far well, in Twin Peaks, and, and unlike, in the town of Twin Peaks, I yes, mean. and unlike what the kids see uh, in five seconds, right. when they they chase a ball and they find Miriam crawling out of the woods. She, you were right, mm-hmm. you predicted that she would not explode, that the house yeah. would not explode, and we'd be seeing more of her. I was wrong, um, and yeah, she's there. She's all bloodied in the face; half her face is really swollen and and disfigured. Um, she looks dirty. She's been crawling. Yeah, she's for been a crawling while. for a while, but she made it out. She yeah. survived, and they called her mother. And that's all we see of this. Obviously, Miriam's going to play an important role. Yes. Um, even there was talk online over the last week about you know was it the wrong letter. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we even mentioned it. Yeah, in our we mentioned it in our too, podcast yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, so even if that's not the case, Miriam is going to play a yeah. role in Richard's hopefully you know, downfall. Hopefully, yeah. Let's hope so. Uh. So we get this, this scene that is immediately shifted. Like it's a very quick scene. It's like a minute maybe, mm. and we shift right away to Becky at the at the Fat Trout Trailer Park, mm. on the phone screaming about, "I don't have a car. What's going on?" And then she hangs up the phone and literally screams. Yeah. Um, and there's this frantic call to her mom at the at the double R, and Shelley leaves the double R and goes to drive to Becky, and then. Becky at the trailer park gets a gun, and when Shelly shows up, she just gets in the car, and she's Steals like, I hate him, I'm going to yeah. kill him. Well, she doesn't say I'm going to kill him. She just says, I yeah. hate him, I hate him. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, but, she grabs um, the keys. And it's all, it all happens very, 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 very quick. quickly, and there's yeah. no answers, and Shelly's desperate, just like we are, to figure out what the hell is going on. But um, we know it's, Stephen's up to something yes. bad, yeah. Well, and, obviously, who else is she yeah. going to be? Yeah, that pissed but, off. Uh, but I, I love this, this, um, this turn here where, you know, the desperation on Shelly's part to, like, cling to the, the hood of the car as her daughter drives away. And Becky shows zero concern for her mother at yeah, this point. Yeah. She, it, it, like, Shelly could have died. Like, yeah. that, that's a really scary thing to see happen. And for Becky to be so single-minded and so focused on this, like, her hatred of Stephen is so intense. Um, I don't know what to make of that. It's It's... Yeah, unnerving. It is a little unnerving, and it actually reminded me. It felt a little bit like Leo. Like she had a bit of Leo in her. Where mm. when he get when he got angry, there was nothing stopping right. him. You know, he was going, and he he resorted instantly to violence. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very kind of Leo response in that way, mm-hmm. um, which kind of had me thinking at this point in time. Oh yeah, definitely Leo's kid. Right, something happened there, um, 
And, you know, it might still actually be the case, but we can talk about that when we get to the next scene. Um, but yeah, then from there, uh, Carl, Carl arrives to help Shelly. Yeah. Um, it's a really sweet scene with yeah. with Carl. I mean, we never saw Carl interact with any of the Twin Peaks uh, residents because in Fire Walk With Me, Fat Trout Trailer Park was nowhere near Twin Peaks. Yeah, but the new Fat so, Trout. The new Fat Trout Trailer Park. is obviously Park. very close. And uh, so he knows who Shelly is. He calls her sweetheart. He knows that there's trouble at the Becky and Stevens place. Um, he calls over his Carl mobile. I can't take credit for that one. That's Jeff Jensen on uh, Twitter. on that Twitter. Was that was amazing. The Carl mobile, even the way he whistled for it, and yeah. it just comes. It's great. It, yeah, it's so great. Um, I've seen some other people uh, linking him to like Willy Wonka or something like that. Just, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This the Carl Rod kind of character who. No, it's true. But anyway, um, so he calls over the Volkswagen truck. He calls it, mm-hmm. and and they go into town. Um, and in the back of this, we find out that. Carl has a, a police radio. Yes. Which was interesting. I wondered what, why Carl would have a police radio to begin with. Yeah. It seems like it's well, something like, yeah. like, um, because he calls Maggie, the dispatcher that we that we've seen working in the back room at the sheriff's department, and it seems like she knows mm-hmm. from his call signal maybe or uh, his voice. I'm, I'm imagining that this is not the first time he's called the police for whatever well, reason. So yeah, is he like you know, a manager, vigilante? No, I think as a manager of a trailer park, you, yeah? would, you would see enough violence and there'd be enough bad goings on that, that theoretically he'd need a quick line. To is that the, a little classist? A little bit. Absolutely. But, um, you know, let's face it. Uh, this episode provides pretty good evidence of you know the bad Becky's, shit that, yeah, happens, the bad shit that happens here, right? And it's not like Fat Trout was a great place when we saw it in Firewalk. I with guess me that's too. true. Um, so I mean, yeah, I think it was just kind of that, but it is odd. It, I mean, he just picks up and you're like, what, what? yeah, and he has like a hotline to yeah, the yeah, dispatch. yeah, like and, it's, and, and it's almost like he assumes this role. We've never seen him take any kind of like when we see him in, in Firewalk mm-hmm. with me, he's always taking a back seat. Even in the last episode, the more shit you got him do now. Yeah, 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 like he he didn't seem to be all that concerned with the fucking nightmare that's happening Mm -hmm. in the brunette's trailer um but here all of a sudden he's like maybe it's because it's shelly maybe he he feels a certain kinship for her there were a lot of people who thought maybe um carl and shelly were related Mm. we it was a theory that was going around several months ago anyway uh because we we never hear anything about shelly's parents and maybe that with carl's inclusion in the secret history of Twin Peaks, people wondered if maybe they were related. I don't think so, but, I mean, he certainly does take on kind of a fatherly role when mm-hmm. it comes to Shelley. And he's the one who who gets her in touch with Bobby, um, even though Norma on the phone with Shelley at the same time suggests the same thing. Well, yeah, she suggests, and I think Carl hears and yes. he's like, yes, okay, I'll just call him Bobby exactly. on, the, on the radio. So, but they do get in touch with Bobby, and Shelley explains, this is where we find out that she's Shelley Briggs, mm-hmm. and she explains what's going on with... Uh, Becky having run off, taking her car, and then and she has a gun. And Carl is like, oh, damn, or something yeah. like that. It's it's great. Um, yeah, and then we cut instantly, and this, again, this all happens very quick. It's, very, it's, very you know, quickly. It's two or three minutes here. Um, and then we follow Becky. Uh-huh. She Well, we get a shot of a staircase. Yes. Of course. Um, and Becky comes trouncing up this staircase. She's pissed off. She goes to room 208, 208 yeah. in Presumably, it looks like an apartment building. It's. I thought it was maybe, maybe I thought a, hotel it was a hotel or too, but, hotel, but but yeah, find out later it's an apartment. Apartment, yeah. Um, she screams at the door. She starts hammering on it, um, and then she's she's threatening Stephen and whoever else is inside. Um, and then the next door neighbor pokes her head out and says, "They've left. There's no one there." 
And she, she sees that Becky has a gun, and I mm-hmm. think she, she she darts back inside. Yes, for good reason. For good reason. Um, but she repeats it twice, which is always you know, if you make your point once, you don't have to say it again. But here, it it feels like maybe she's lying to cover. Uh, well, Steven that or, or I mean, there are a lot of characters that we noted in this episode who repeat things twice. Yeah. There have been a lot of instances of characters throughout the return repeating things twice mm-hmm. or three times. So I don't think that's an accident. But um, but yeah, she does. I don't whether she's covering or whether she's just frightened. Um, it it doesn't really matter. She just darts back into her house and then Becky unloads six bullets into yeah. the the door. Yeah. Um, and then we get this weird. Uh, tracking shot down. It's not it, even no. It's like the shakiest, yeah. Um, filtered, crazy. Yeah, camera, it's a handheld shot. walking shot that's been sped up, and it goes down this hall, a uh, different hallway, and then down another staircase, presumably yeah. the other staircase in the building. Right. Um, and there we find Stephen and Gersten Hayward. Gersten Hayward, uh, played by what's her name? Alicia Witt. Alicia Witt, uh, who was in one episode of yeah. season two. Uh, she sang the song. And yeah, she was she she entertained them at the Hayward Supper Club. Yes. Um, when she got the role of the fairy princess in mm-hmm. in the school play. Yes, and she just yeah, did she sing or did she just play piano? I don't know. She just played piano. Yeah, that's but right. Yeah. Um, um Leland did all the singing. Yes, that, that's right. That that's episode. that's true. But it's it's uh it was interesting because we didn't catch this at first. It was more just the shock of Stephen and this woman that he was with, so he's cheating on Becky. Um and it kind we of, didn't really notice it was Alicia Witt until... No, until the credits. And then yes. we thought, oh, where was she? Oh, maybe that was yes. her. And then went back and confirmed. And yeah. and it, it kind of begged the question for me of who called uh, Becky? Right. Who's informing her? I mean, it, I don't think it'll be that important, but um, it, it is interesting, perhaps. Because mm-hmm. it, it felt like a, a supernatural shot, that tracking shot that followed them down. Well, and when, I, when it happened, because... Um, Bex and Eason on Time for Cakes and Ale uh, yesterday maybe it was Saturday, posted on Twitter that they were wondering when we were going to see some of the shots from the trailers. Mm-hmm. And one of the shots was the stairwell shot. Yeah. And I thought this is when we'd see the stairwell yes, shot because yes. it kind of felt like that. Yes. Wasn't this scene? We no. see it in another scene. Well, we I see think. that stairwell. I we don't see so. the shot from right. the trailer, but yeah. So, um, but it was just interesting because I, I had the exact same feeling as you. That mm-hmm. shakiness made it feel like woodsman-y, mm-hmm. you know, slowed down, sped up feeling. Yes. Um, very staccato movements. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely felt supernatural. But yeah. it wasn't that we know well, of. Well, that we know of right now. Um, But it is interesting that Kristen Hayward would be maybe 40 now. Yeah. Around there. And yeah. she's sleeping with a 20-some-year-old. Yeah. And She's living in an apartment. Like it's it's just it's odd. It's well, and it it's raises questions of her. And clearly, what she's been doing. it's it's somebody that I mean, Gersten knew or sorry, uh, Becky knew exactly where to go. Yes. So this is not the first time that he's been with her, or or he she, knows Gersten from she knows Gersten from somewhere else. Right. As well as so I mean, lives, yeah. I think this is an ongoing thing that we're going to see more of, or we're going to get more answers to. Um, I actually kind of like the way that. Um, you know, and it, it, you mentioned it last week that when we were listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped a few weeks ago, they were talking about how maybe some of these characters might only be, you know, here and then we wouldn't see anything more of them. But everything we've been seeing, if you put it together in retrospect, it fits into a, into its own little puzzle. Even if it hasn't quite fit mm-hmm. into the larger puzzle, yeah. these pieces fit together in their own puzzle. And the, what we're seeing of Becky's story... Um, 
now doesn't feel such it's not throwaway right mm-hmm. this these were purposeful moments and it bodes well for other things we've seen and other mentions that we've had of things like doc hayward and his comment about audrey and and mm-hmm. mr c i mean they're not just dropped they're there not yeah they're, they're not just red herrings up, yeah. they're not just um chekhov's guns they're yeah. not just like yeah. random things well, they, are being they're more in. chekhov's guns maybe like a they, little bit like more they're gonna come back <laughs> a little bit i guess yeah but but they they do feel very like uh purposeful right mm-hmm. so um yeah and and this was just to pick up on that i thought amanda Seyfried did a great job oh, like yeah. she was you know she really brought that energy like she she looked like she was crazy and she was gonna yeah like i thought she maybe was she was on rage. drugs or yeah. something like that but well, this is just a rage that yeah, she was in exactly but it was really it felt really real uh-huh. and you believed it that she was gonna kill someone. and <laughs> to come back to what we saw last week with the way she cowered from Stephen, um this is a side that we never saw of shelly well, in Shelly's relationship with Leo. Shelly did shoot Leo. She did, but it was never it was, this kind yeah. of rage. No, it was right? self-defense, and yes. it was very like, don't hurt me, and then she shot him. But yeah, this, this is... This is different. So, in a sense, we, we wondered if maybe the apple didn't fall far from the tree last week, and now I'm wondering if if this is, you know, the apple's fallen into a completely different yard, yeah. and it's an orange, actually. So, I mean, it's <laughs> it's just they're totally... they've They've... But there are other instances where characters do seem to mimic their parents, and we'll get to that in, yes. in a little while. Sure. One other thing I noticed um, that I, I didn't notice it, other people noticed it, and I, I noticed it on our timeline, um, is Gersten wearing the same jacket as Daria? Yeah. It's a pink satin jacket, and yeah. it looks very much like the one that Daria was wearing. Um, I don't know if that's intentional. I can't imagine that it was a wardrobe mistake, but no, is it possible that... that it's a uh, yeah. the it's same so code, or if it's it could be this is only Gerson Hayward's only appearance, right? It could be right, right. And this is just a throwaway thing, and there's supposed to be a visual tie-in back to someone else, yeah. Or she could be a very important character, right? Who we've just now gotten the first glimpse of, yeah. but you know there will be a tie-in back to Daria or something yeah. like that. It's definitely possible. Um, yeah, it was just uh, yeah, very interesting um, kind of visual linkage there. Mm-hmm. So we go, uh, we get, it's a quick scene again, but we go to uh, the sheriff's station and we get the calls about yeah. this incident yeah. and they're coming in fast and furious. Maggie uh, is taking all the calls and yeah. she repeats the same thing over and over again. Sheriff's department, what's your location? Someone's on the way. Sheriff's department, what's your location? Uh, someone's on the way. But the first time she says, what's your location? Okay, I'm sending someone on the way. Right, kind of thing, yes. right? And then she realizes, no, this is just, you get 20 calls about the same incident. So yeah. she, she's just saying, yes, okay. And I think this is just a fill-in for what's going to happen to to Becky. She gets arrested. And then Could when be. we see her the next, well, no, when we see her next. Yes, you know, she hasn't been arrested, but her dad has stepped in to kind of mitigate probably that. Probably been arrested, and then her dad stepped in yeah. and said, okay, we can release but her. But I do have to wonder if... There's someone on the way, or someone is on the way, being repeated over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Um, who is that someone on the way? Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking like which cop are they going to send. I'm wondering, like, this is a bigger problem. Clearly, there are some big ass problems that are affecting yeah, Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks yeah. Someone is on their way. We've talked in the past about maybe Cooper being uh, the King Arthur cipher. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Laura is the King Arthur cipher. Um, We've been tracking uh, the very, very slow return of Dougie Coop to mm-hmm. Cooper's senses. Yeah. Um, is that the someone who's on the way? I don't know. Yeah. No, I think that's a good 
that's a good additional read into it. Uh, but, uh, yeah. But for for the the ending of this this opening frantic opening scene, mm-hmm. it was quick. Yeah. It really did. And and fast. It, and it's interesting that that all of this bad shit is happening, but someone's on the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we then go to Buckhorn. Yeah. Uh, and to pull two cars, sorry, pull up into the location that presumably Bill Hastings is identified. Mm-hmm. Um, and the FBI agents are in the front car. Uh, the back car is uh, the detective Mitchum yep. and... No, Ma- Mackley. Mackley, sorry. And uh, Hastings. Yeah. Um, and everyone out of the FBI car comes out and they all have guns drawn. Yeah. So instantly, you know, the, this is this is more than we've seen uh, yeah. so far, really. You know, there's a lot of guns in this episode, too. Yeah, yeah, there are. Uh, it's it's worth noting. Um, it's also it, worth noting, where the hell does Tammy keep her gun? Yes. Yeah. I mean, those suits are way too tight to... You yeah. definitely see that gun. <laughs> She's, it's it's a holster somewhere, but her, 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 her skirt suits are very well tailored yes. to show off her figure, so... Mm-hmm. Gun <laughs> would ruin the line, I think. <laughs> a little bit. Either way. Uh, but, so, uh, Diane says, uh, I'm going to hang out here. She's still with them, and she just sits by the car. Um, Tammy goes over to Bill and asks yes, him. Confirms the story yes. that the major had to get in here. Points to a hole in the fence. Um, and basically they go through that hole. Uh, Cole and Albert do. Yes. Albert stops uh, about like five feet in and Cole continues in. And then from there, um, well, before that happens, actually, they yeah. see a woodsman. Yes. He kind of materializes behind this abandoned property and walks between it and another property next door. Um, but kind shipping of, container or yeah, something. It, yeah, it's like phasing in and out of, he's mm-hmm. not really there, and then he's there, and then he's not there. Yeah. Um, Gordon and Albert definitely see him. I wondered if Bill actually saw him. You seem to think that he well, did. Well, he, like he had like a response. Yeah, he <gasps> exhaled. Yeah. Well, and I only noticed that because it, uh, we had the subtitles on the second uh, time, okay. and it said he ex- inhaled sharply yeah. or something. Yeah. No, um, I saw it on his face a little bit. Like, he he jolted a little bit. So. He didn't seem as scared as I would expect him to be. Well, I don't know if he'd saw. seen them before or, you know, he had trouble. Like, he says, I don't remember what happened Maybe. after I went into the into the place. Maybe. Um. So he might just have, like, an instinctive fear response. Either way, it. Mackley doesn't see it. Neither does Tammy or Diane at this point. Yeah. Um, so then we cut to uh, Gordon and Albert having a conversation about... Uh, it's interesting what, what they ask. Albert asks... Or Gordon asks... Think there's one in there, Albert? We'll soon find out. One what? I, I, I wondered at first if it was a portal or if it was a woodsman or a group of woodsmen or yeah, something I, like I that. Think I think I, it's a portal because we get the answer. Yeah, potentially. I think it's just a supernatural thing yeah, yeah. is in there. There's something in there. Yeah. And they they want to find out what. But um, as they as they walk forward, we hear the electricity start yes. crackling. And Gordon, yes, like you said, he approaches the house. He goes further than Albert, and he looks up to see this this vortex above yes, his head yes. that reminded me a lot of, of True Detective, the yeah, stuff yeah, we yeah, saw yeah, in True Detective. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people have brought up that. Yeah. But and this is coal done... Coal and coal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we so we see this, this vortex and it kind of sucks. It looks like um, leaves from the tree. Mm-hmm. But only Gordon sees it. He stands there and we get that same kind of shaky camera work with the... the Colors are coming in, and the the edges are bleeding and and distorted. And even when and you see when you look at Cole, he's yeah. well he's from Albert's of, point of view. So Albert is closer, and he sees Cole distorting a little bit. A little like bit. He's, he's approaching into this portal, which is mm-hmm. what it kind of winds up looking like. And then we get shots from Cole's point of view of you know this a lot of distortion. It mm-hmm. reminds me a lot. I think you know again, I was I was also right on this from part eight. This is this is the visual. Uh, 
language now for a distortion between the two worlds and, right. and the connections, right? Yeah. This is very much, and even the song uh, that was played in Part A during the explosion of the Threnody yeah. uh, for the victims of Hiroshima, uh, that's playing again here. It's it's just a snippet of it, and it's mixed in with like the electric whooshing and right. everything. Um, but this song is credited in this episode, and it's is it's, it playing it, in this it's scene? It's very yes, it's very uh, it's low in the mix, I would say. Okay, um, but it is there. And again, it's okay. it's part of this plane Moment. between worlds. Yes. Right, right, right. Um, and then it's the great. The best part, though, is when you cut back to Diane and the detective. Tammy they're looking. Yeah. They hear and birds Cole's, chirping. And yeah. Yeah. And Cole's just like reaching up with his arms and at nothing and it looks like well, he's just going crazy well it's like a little religious moment like he's in mm-hmm. some kind of religious ecstasy or something yeah. reaching up towards something that no one else can see but he can mm-hmm. um albert it's funny it, i laughed, well, yeah, I laughed no, at that one a lot. you did it was it was pretty funny and i think it's meant to be a little bit funny but yeah. it's also troubling because um if only gordon can see this and we don't really know what albert sees all he all we know well, he sees is is gordon like i don't think albert can see the vortex no, no he can no. only see gordon phasing there, in and out, yeah exactly right? yeah and and he gets a little bit of that distortional stuff happening him too yeah. too and and that's kind of highlighted right before so uh near the end of this uh cole's reaching up and the the black dot that steadily grows and becomes the end of the portal yeah. that's kind of suck coming down to suck him through. Yeah, he peers through it and he sees three woodsmen right. on the staircase, right. which is the staircase I think from. I'm almost positive it's the staircase that we saw in the trailers. The trailer. It's also if you look, it's a very very quick shot, and I've only seen it because people have screen capped yeah, it. Yes, But there's um a, between the legs of two of the woodsmen, you can see. Uh, wallpaper in the background and it looks exactly like the wallpaper from the portrait that uh, or the the picture that the grandmother uh, Chalfont slash Tremond gave to Laura in Firewalk with yeah, me. Yeah, that floral pattern. Yeah, yeah so um, a lot of people, myself included, I think you would be on the same page, Aiden, mm-hmm. are like, okay, so this is the stairway to the convenience store potentially mm-hmm. and that painting that we saw in Firewalk with me is part of that convenience store. If we ever had any doubts about that, I think it's been put to rest mm-hmm. that this is in the same kind of it's it's the same place. Yes, they've been we've been seeing multiple ways of getting there yeah. and and this Laura is one had one and this is one of them. Uh, Cole sees this and then we get a shot from Albert's point of view again and this time there's a flickering flame yeah. on top of Cole and they're they're kind of flickering out of existence together there's yes. the flame and Cole starts disappearing a little bit too very very much like the way that, that Cooper disappeared in the very, uh, in first, the very first episode yes. yeah. uh, and then that's when Albert reaches in grabs Cole and brings him back yeah. from potentially going into the convenience store yeah. um, and and again, that again, firewalk with me. That is the phrase that that yeah. connects these two worlds, right? And it, we see it again. Um, and the electricity is humming. Later on in this episode, we get a very distinct connection between electricity and fire. Right. Uh, so you know those those things are becoming clear, which mm. is really interesting because up to this point, firewalk with me had been it was just, just a chant, it, just it was a chant. Just it was, nonsense. We words. had no idea what was going on with it, but it's becoming more and more clear yes. every episode, every part. Um, yeah. What what's going on with yeah. this? And uh, yeah, so it's just really really interesting that way. So I wondered if there this is a portal mm-hmm. in Buckhorn, South Dakota. How many other portals are there? Do you think is there one in yeah. Las Vegas? Is there one? There must be one in Ghostwood Forest mm-hmm. in Twin Peaks. Um, this was something that people brought up. Uh, before the return started with mm-hmm. the billboards that cropped up in various locations, mm-hmm. um, one of them in Seattle, one of them in Missoula. Uh, there were a couple more, I think one in um, 
in Pennsylvania somewhere near either it was Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. So either one of those are related to Cooper's time and in, in, in where he grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been rumors that they filmed in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a portal here in Paris? Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows what what is going on? Do you have any idea about this? It's just it's just interesting that this kind of the, the mythology here has all of a sudden once again been kind of blown open, blown open yeah. by the fact that we have concrete proof that this portal exists and it seems to be a fixed point. It's not like yeah. it shifts around. Like there are coordinates to this place and, it's and it was time important dependent. enough. No. It's not like the, the Glastonbury Grove. Right. Where Which you need needed Jupiter wait. and Saturn yeah. to align. And I mean, are they, it, it's a question that we can't answer obviously, but and do they all go to the same place? That's yeah. also worth questioning, right? Because, um, Glastonbury Grove went to the Red Room. Right. Which does not seem to be where <laughs> where Gordon, Gordon was, was going to go. Yeah. But we so, also saw in Fire Walk with me that when Laura went into her dream, she saw a room there was like a a wall, mm-hmm. a section of the wall that was red drapes yeah. and we wondered if beyond that was the Red Room. Yeah. So are they all connected? Yeah, it's a convenience store above it the meeting point between all these different right worlds or something or like is it that, the or... end uh, like, in, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean these again like i said yeah. questions we can't answer many but, many questions still. but do you have any other well yeah i mean there's i mean there's all the stuff in secret history so right. there's still uh pasadena, California, pasadena yeah. there's yeah the one in, stuff in philadelphia New Mexico, I think. exactly um well yeah the ex- nuclear explosion potentially right. created something uh yeah las vegas might be nearby to one yeah. two yeah so i think there's Maybe Argentina. Yes. And that's why I think we get some some discussion of coordinates fairly shortly and then mm-hmm. later on in the episode. And I think we could talk about that. Then sure. Too. Absolutely. So when uh, Albert pulls Gordon back, they seem pretty relieved that <laughs> Gordon yeah. didn't get sucked in. I like how in this version, Albert is not a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Albert was very skeptical of everything in yeah, season one and season two. Stuff, yeah. Um, here he's totally on board. So I wonder what happened in the meantime. Is it was it Cooper's disappearance, or did he see some other shit? Was he let in more closely on the blue the Blue Rose stuff once Cooper was gone? You know, was he recruited into the Blue Rose team to fill his place or something uh, like a protege again of Cole's? Um, I don't know. It's it it goes back to John Thorne's dream theory too that um, if Albert saw what he saw in Fire Walk With Me mm-hmm. from Philip Jeffries appearing and disappearing and everything in Philadelphia, would he have been the same? Would he have been skeptical mm-hmm. in Twin Peaks? Yeah. Because he already saw something mysterious happen a year or two years before that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I guess it is kind of maybe evidence of, of some kind of alternate dimension or alternate timeline I don't know, yeah, but it's. it's it, I, I do like this this Albert who. It seems like these two are like, they're cowboys. They're they're yeah, the only no, good true. guys who are gonna be yeah. like on the case and who know their shit, right? Yeah. And um, it's interesting that in this moment that uh, after this experience, Ruth. Uh, yeah, they find Ruth, Ruth Davenport's, Davenport's body. body is it, it appears or it well, they was there all they along, it. but yeah, they they find it finally. And they walk over to this this headless corpse that um feels very bacon-esque. It's it's yeah. you know, mottled skin and it almost looked like yeah. a like a store mannequin the yes, way it was. Yes, the way it was arranged. Posed. Yeah, and even like everything's smooth. Like there's no yeah. there's no hair or anything on her anywhere. She had it's, no genitalia, no nipples, yeah, nothing. It, it, was, it looked very much like the the mother figure. Yeah. Um in the sense that it was kind of I don't want to say it was genderless because it was clear it was a woman's body and they knew it was Ruth's body, but it did feel kind of 
uh, desexed almost in yeah, a way. Yeah. Um, unsexed? Yeah. De-sexed? Something like that. Um, I'm thinking of Lady Macbeth. Yeah, yeah, okay. Me. That's yeah, not yeah. the right <laughs> Desex. Yeah. It's, it's just been removed of any sexual mm-hmm. um, anatomy, yeah. aside from the swell of her breasts, but... This is a weird conversation. Uh, anyway, they know immediately that it is that it is Ruth's body, and Albert takes a picture of her arm. You can kind of see that there are some numbers written on it, yeah. so presumably these are the coordinates. Yeah. Uh, and as this is happening, uh, we see Diane is watching their movements, yeah. and she's she's playing it cool. She's still watching, um, and already again, Hastings seems a little bit more terrified. Um, yeah. So Albert takes the picture, and after that happens, that's when the woodsman appears yeah. around the corner, um, coming up behind. Uh, Mackley's, Mackley's detective car. Yeah, car. And Diane sees him. Diane sees this woodsman yes. kind of, but again, just kind of like watches closely, doesn't do anything about it. And at one point she just looks away. She just, yeah, yeah, well, just kind of casually looks away like, uh, what's going on? And it's, yeah, I, and I can't tell. She's playing it so well. <laughs> uh, Laura Dern is doing such a great job because you can't tell if she's uh, seeing it and just not scared and not affected by it or if she's if the shifting in and out of existence is she's not sure if that's real and she's trying to like figure out what's going on it's it's still so ambiguous at this point Diane I think is, I think she's she's very much on board with this I think I I, I don't trust Diane anymore no, no, so no, I no, feel no. like she's, absolutely but she I, knows that this is happening and going to happen and Yes, I agree. That's the way the story is leading okay. us right now. I think by episode 14, we could be in for another Maybe. change. And she's like actually been playing this somewhat straighter than we think. Or there's some sort of ambiguous thing about her. In any case, um, the woodsman approaches the side of the car. It doesn't, no doors open, nothing happens. No. Uh, but we get a shot of Hastings. There's the soft crunching, Ugh. which is what's in the subtitles, yeah. uh, which was great. Uh well, and we then, hear that that kind of well, um, he's scared, jittery yeah. uh, slow mo. I know you don't think it's I, slow motion, Aiden, no. but but we get a little bit of it, it from yeah from the same as the woodsman from God of Light, and then yeah. his head explodes. Basically. basically we don't see it all we see is the blood spatter yeah. onto Mackley's face yeah, and he's, he's like, like what, what the, the hell and then he looks oh my god and he freaks <laughs> yeah. out um it's and then he's calling in back up to 224 sycam- sycamore uh 2240 yeah or 2204 2240 is what i've got down either way there's a two a two a four, a four and, a and a zero in whatever order it's supposed to be <sighs> and uh yeah and he's like interesting that it's backup. on sycamore too yes exactly um and then diane approaches though looks in the car and says there's no backup for this. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting and, again, could be read in a lot of ways. She's saying, there's nothing to help you guys. You guys are done. And that's that's how I interpreted it, is that she's, I mean, she knows what the Blue Rose cases are. Um, clearly, she knows through her involvement with Cooper years ago and probably in the years since he's been gone, She she's learned... She's seen some shit, right? Mm-hmm. So she knows that this is beyond any mortal earthbound capability to to deal with at least in in Mackley's hands mm-hmm. um but but again I mean she doesn't seem all that concerned or perturbed at all by it so I am interested to see what because you can't read her motivations no and uh or where she's going it's yeah it's really interesting I, I'm really enjoying Diane's ambiguity at this point and I know a lot of people are not pleased with the idea that she might be a bad guy um or if she's some kind of double agent, they just don't like her character. I love it. I, I think know, this is I, uh, really interesting. And and we haven't had a character like this where Mm-mm. it's ambiguous, you know, like, or even, you know, 
where it starts off good and kind of becomes bad and and there's there's but there's still some ambiguity there yeah i just i don't know it's we haven't had vet characters switch like the mitchin brothers in this episode yeah. especially mm-hmm. go from being potentially really bad guys to good guys potentially for our character yeah that we're following um but diane doesn't seem that clear cut she's no. she's helping doppelkoop but at the same time she had that initial reaction to him where she hated him and she was yeah. disgusted by him and it felt really real at the time yeah so it's really hard to tell you know it, it was that genuine is is her helping doppelkoop more genuine mm-hmm. did she lie to doppelkoop um or did doppelkoop send this woodsman here after we got the text message it it's still really up in the air and, yeah. and i like that mm-hmm. I, I think that's really interesting because everything else Characters are playing to types a lot in this series. Yes. We talk about this, we might talk about it a little bit later with Hawk. Yeah. And there's, you know, all the characters really are playing a type. We talked about with Lucy and Andy and how it yeah. really bothered us that they mm-hmm. become just this goofy couple. Yeah. Um, but uh, Diane's not really playing a type. Yet. No, I mean, she seems like she comes off at first as, you know, kind of a femme fatale or, yeah. you know, um, it... it you can see how there's hints of what could have been in a lesser director and lesser writer's hands, um, a, a, a fairly stock character. But she's much more complex. She's one of the most complex characters that we've seen so far, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and something that I, I totally expect from a David Lynch, Laura Dern collaboration like this, mm-hmm. but also what I expect from Laura Dern as an actress yeah. as well, is that she's just, she's so capable of doing this. So, yeah, let's hand her a meaty role and, and just watch her face. And, yeah, and, and, watch and try the way and figure she, out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, because she does yeah. such a superb job. Yeah. Um, sad to see Matthew Lillard depart. He was yeah, he, he was, was kind of a great yeah. uh, character for this, and, yeah. and an actor. Um, he was a great actor for this for mm-hmm. Twin Peaks. I know I was very skeptical when I saw his yeah, name. Yeah, I on remember the, that. Yeah, because um, all I can think about is him as Shaggy. <laughs> from, see, I pe- so picture him as the guy from and the guy Scream. From Scream. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but but he does such a phenomenal job, mm-hmm. and I'm actually quite sad that we won't. Well, we don't know. Maybe he'll show up in the yeah, that's or true. Something. Yeah, his head will show up. <laughs> maybe. And, and it's interesting that his head. The other ones we didn't see the end results yeah. of the woodsman crushing their skulls, but uh, this looks like. Uh, the mother or whatever the experiment that busted out of new york and ate their heads right this is what his head winds up looking like. yeah it's kind of so, like hollowed out and so are the are those separate creatures was the experiment just a woodsman type who Maybe just the, looked the, different inside the, the box? woodsman the, yeah. the prototype for the woodsman or, or something. something else or are who they knows? totally separate or do they all just eat brains yeah. uh, like who knows it's it's so confusing but uh, it's worth noting so we go to the next scene, which again plays um, pretty fast and loose with the line between uh, sweetly sentimental and somewhat comic in some respects and very, very strong horror. Um, we're at the double R and we get a nice Briggs family reunion. Uh, Bobby, Shelley, and Becky are sitting there discussing Becky's situation and what she wants. And it, and she doesn't really seem to know what she wants. At first she says she wants out, but then she says she's she starts defending Stephen and says he's not really a bad guy. And um, clearly her parents, uh, Bobby especially, seems to really be struggling with the, you know, he's a cop, he's a the deputy, he wants to protect his daughter, but he also, as Shelley says, he recognizes that she's a grown married woman and she has to live her own life and he he does seem to struggle with what his role should be he hasn't in you know interfered and arrested Stephen because he has faith 
that well, Stephen will turn his Stephen life around, around yeah. for Becky. Um, he doesn't have the the palpable fear for Becky that Shelley has, where Shelley starts to cry, and um, it's they have different reactions, but they they both seem like such supportive parents, in a sense, mm-hmm. um, that they aren't pushing. Yeah, they're Becky not making her decision anything. for her. They no. still want her to make her own, you know, to have her own autonomy and, and make her decisions. Yeah. Um, it's obvious that Bobby has not been as supportive as Shelly, though. Shelly's been right. loaning money and giving them all sorts of stuff. He's, he's supportive in his way. He hasn't given her any money, but he hasn't arrested her either. So I guess yeah, there's... Yeah, exactly. You know, like, it, it just feels like this is a very, um, like separated parents will do this mm-hmm. right you, you they treat their kid differently or they, they have a different relationship with their child yeah um this just seems to be what their relationship is right yeah. um they aren't this it feels like this is the first time that bobby and shelly have been a, a united front for becky's in a long time right yeah. so yeah. um and becky doesn't really seem again much concerned at all with with what happened that day until a really meaningful glance with norma who, yeah. I mean, Norma always played the mother figure to Shelly. Is she a grandmother figure to Becky? Yeah. Or were <laughs> a, another surrogate mother figure? Not mm-hmm. surrogate, but a secondary mother figure. Mm-hmm. Um, because as soon as they lock eyes and she kind of... It, it's like that moment is what prompts Becky very quickly to turn and be like, oh my God, I almost killed you. Yeah. And, and they hug it out a little bit. And I thought that was a very odd change of pace. Yeah. Suddenly. It's like, why, why did she go from... From uh, like wanting was, to respect her yes. mother to realizing that she almost killed her, like yeah. it just seemed like a, a kind of an odd switch and yeah, her an instant switch. Yes, and, and very and it's very animated. exaggerated and yeah. animated. Yes, exactly. Um, so I, I, it caught me as a little off guard, um, but I liked it because it also set up another change of pace that mm-hmm. comes immediately afterward, which is uh, Shelley uh, sees Red walk up to the window yeah. and she looks at him and she, her face just lights up. She's like, yes, this is my latest man. Uh, they go meet outside, start making out right in the window uh, and Bobby can see and everything. Uh, and there's a nice little moment where Bobby's watching them kiss and then uh, Becky looks at Bobby and is like, oh, dad. And, and he yeah. just he's kind of sad and depressed. Anyways, Red and Shelly bugger off a little bit and they have this really brief exchange like we'll meet again tonight yes yeah. at the same place yeah um which is odd because shelly had just offered becky to stay with her that night right. but then she's gonna go bugger off and meet red presumably yeah it's it's like shelly um isn't quite is she she hasn't quite um graduated from the mm-hmm. the, the bad boy well or or the high school waitress that she mm-hmm. used to be right yeah she she's flitting from man to man and situation to situation and you're right like that that switch for becky from she was angry about having to pay for yeah gersten's front door to being like overly concerned for her mother's well-being where she didn't give a shit mm-hmm. you know two milliseconds earlier yeah and we see it exactly the same yeah, here. Yeah. Shelly's crying and clutching her daughter, saying, I'm going to stay with you. You're going to stay with me tonight. You're the only thing and that matters. And the then the big oh. smile on her face when Red shows up. It, yeah. it, it was very much like the way she acted with Bobby. Exactly. Um, and it, even to the extent where she has to like pull Red out from the doorway so Bobby doesn't see, see them, yeah. see the two of them yeah. making out. Um, it's it's just the same thing she was doing with, with exactly. Bobby yeah. behind Leo's back, except she's doing it in front of Bobby's face. And it was... It was interesting. I wonder where this is going because, I mean, yeah, there's only another seven episodes. There's seven hours left. So, I mean, how much more of this story are we going to get? Maybe we'll get much more. Maybe there's not going to be much more. But it doesn't 
it it so far we've seen Shelley in, in a very sympathetic light and this makes me not so sympathetic so and I, I wonder well, about her her relationship with Red too because yeah. how much does she know about Red's drug dealing and yeah. the things that he's been up to yeah. involving the the drugs that presumably Stephen and Becky were using the last time we saw them together at the double R yeah and I feel like uh this the crutch of this scene though is that connection between Becky and Shelley just saying uh like you said and we've touched on before and we'll touch on again that that parents and children wind up doing the same things mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and here's a, a super strong connection uh, we get another one right away um and I feel like that's kind of an indication of more than anything I think of Bobby you know Bobby is taking up Major Briggs's role yeah as the uh, one of the forces of true goodness right. in this town right um and he's going to be, I think, instrumental in not just bringing Cooper back, but potentially involving Laura, whatever happens with Laura. I mean, yeah. his connection with Laura has been there in, in uh, whatever it was, part three or four. It was yeah. early on, right? Uh, so, yeah, there's there's all that still to go on. I think that's actually what we're supposed to be drawing out of the yeah. scene is that, yes, you're going to do what your parents did and you can't really help that and so that that really implies more about Bobby than anybody else in the scene I think yeah and the uh, fact that that what happens next um involves Bobby so directly mm-hmm. and kind of throws into contrast the kind of parent child relationship uh, let's let's go right to that yeah, yeah. so um gunshots ring out and well Shelly comes back inside yeah yeah they sit she has this huge smile on her face and then instantly yeah there's there's three gunshots that I counted yeah um they go into the double R window uh everybody gets down Toad shuts off the lights yeah Bobby hustles out to go investigate what's going on in deputy mode and he sees a mother and father arguing over the fact that their son in the backseat has found his father's gun and has shot it through the window of the van into the double R. Mm-hmm. And the mother is obviously quite upset with the fact that her husband has been so careless with his, you know, keeping his guns locked up. She just kicked it behind her, her seat, not knowing yeah, was that what her it was. Seats and she yeah. kicked it under or something. She's like, I wouldn't have done that if I'd known it was a gun. And then their son picks it up. And so, I mean, there's there's blame being, well, not really thrown both ways because the father just takes this. He's like, yeah, it was pretty. <laughs> well, I don't even think he has any reaction. He's just standing there in his camo gear, you know, mm-hmm. in front of the car. Um, so Bobby is trying to get to the bottom of this and there's so much screaming going on and but cars honking and traffic yeah, jams. That it's a very nothing, chaotic scene, Very, yeah. very much like the um, the car crash scene that we saw in, in part seven mm. with the kid who was killed by Richard. There was just chaos and screaming and... But also in the fire walk with me scene with yes, the car horns honking. Yes, that's really more of it, yeah. Um, it was very overwhelming. But, um, but there's this moment, this kind of island where Bobby looks at the kid and sees this kid, you know, he's also wearing a camouflage jacket or a shirt or something. the exact same thing 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 his his dad is wearing. And he kind of takes a stance. Like, he knows exactly what he was doing. Um, He's got his hand on his hip. He's got... This thing, I I think the fact that there's three shots indicates that it was not... An accident. Yeah, it was not an accident. Mm -hmm. He wanted to shoot this gun and he might have even been aiming at someone. Right. You know, like, he's... You know, the implication that he's a hunter just like his father with right. the camel and stuff exactly. like that indicates that he knew what he was doing Absolutely. and he wanted to do this. And the fact that right after Bobby looks at the kid, he looks up at the father and the father's stance is almost, almost exactly, exactly the same yeah. as, as the son's. Mm-hmm. So again, parents and children don't deviate too much from one another. But what does it say that this this is the next generation? This mm-hmm. is the youngest generation that has this horrible role model, that has this horrible... Like, they're not going to have much of a chance because, 
I, I, I wonder if that's the, yeah. the implication here. If there's some kind of broader social um, awareness campaign, I guess, being waged here, that the the upcoming generation is screwed or that we're all screwed for well, producing think, that generation or well, I, yeah i feel like it's just an indication that you are going to get what what uh parents put into it so right. i mean if if par- yeah kids emulate their parents yeah uh naturally and by design and you know uh by force as mm-hmm. well you know mm-hmm. if you force your kids to do what you're doing they're gonna wind up doing it as well most likely um I, so I, I get i don't know if there's really a, a strong moral judgment there but there is there, it is something that they want us to notice that, yeah, that there's a thematic the, exactly thing they, these connections right yeah. and I think it's interesting when you consider some of the other uh, relationships that we haven't seen clarified just yet like Richard Horn especially right. you know uh, I think you know him and it's especially it's it seems to be gendered right it was Shelley and Becky yeah it's this hunter kid and his hunter father. Yeah. You know, Richard Horn, if it's if it's Audrey's son, it's... it's He's not going to emulate his mother. He's no. going to emulate his father. his father. So who is his father? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's not going to be meek, mild John Justice Wheeler <laughs> um, who's out to save the rainforest. Yeah. It's going to be Mr. C. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that, that I think you're right, that there's some kind of... Um, it, it, we're, we're being set up for this. Mm-hmm. And as some people have pointed out, I read a lot of articles this morning and I'm getting them all confused. I'm going to throw up all the links so that you can read through them. But... Um, it's uh, none of these things are accidental and none of the clues that have been dropped have led us astray. Like we said earlier, the they're not red herrings. So I think that you're you're absolutely right that this is um, this is purposeful. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to notice this. Yeah. And so in the midst of all this chaos, he does eventually talk to them, says, I'm going to need your ID. Give well, me he, he yeah, Jesse, Jesse is the one. Deputy Jesse comes up and he says yeah. he heard the gunshots from Big Ed's gas farm. Uh, we haven't seen Big A yet, but he's been name checked. So yeah. hopefully that means he's, he's not too up far soon, yeah. behind. But uh, so Deputy Jesse kind of takes over, and um, and Bobby says, "Okay, I'm going to try and get this woman to stop." Yes, because the woman behind woman, is yeah. just leaning on the horn nonstop. nonstop since Bobby left the diner. And so we go, we follow him around, and we we as soon as he approaches the window of the driver's side, we get a shot of her. She stops mm-hmm. honking, and she said instead she starts shrieking at yeah. Bobby. Please, man. We're trying to get home. We're already late. We're late for dinner. It's way past 6.30. Why is this happening? I saw that gun go shooting out the window. Her uncle is joining us. She hasn't seen him in a very long while. We're late. We've got miles to go. So it seems like just a bunch of incoherent rambling, um, talking about, you know, she has to be there, she's on time. or Late for dinner. Late for dinner. Uh, she saw the kid with the gun, um, which, again, actually kind of makes me wonder what the kid did. Because, I mean, if there were three shots and only one seemed to go in the double R, right. uh, where were the other two shots going? And that that's actually my very initial thought was what happens next was due to one of the gunshots. But... Uh, so what happens is she says, oh, the, this she's sick. She's sick. She's talking about somebody. Yeah, her uncle's coming. She hasn't seen him in a long time, yeah, I think, is yeah. part of it. And we didn't know what she was talking about. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> from the passenger seat, like a zombie rises up, literally with her arms outstretched, yes. is this young woman, uh, young girl maybe, teenager of some sort, with like very short haircuts. Yeah, very um, sickly looking, pale. Super sick looking. And stuff's just bubbling out of her mouth and, yeah. and pouring out. It's like greenish almost. Yeah, it yeah, it's horrifying stuff. It feels like maybe like almost like Armin Bosia looking gross. Well, yeah, it doesn't have that neon intense color or anything like that, but it ha- it has a supernatural kind of feel to it. Yeah. 
and my initial thought was, oh, a bullet ricocheted and she's been shot in the throat or oh, something yeah, like that, okay. and, and that's why she's she's doing this. Um, but it doesn't seem to be because no. there's no visible wound or anything. Well, and, it looks like she's been she sick She says for a while. she's sick, and, and it's just this kind of generic sickness that we've seen a lot of. Like, you know, Beverly's husband is sick, but we don't know what it is. It looks like cancer, but we're not really sure. This girl is sick, but we don't know what's causing it. Counter Esperanto posted... Um, that they think that she's infected with the fricket that, yeah. that this is the the frog cricket character from part eight um and this is how it's manifested and it makes you sick in this way i 100 yeah, sure. could be Maybe. behind that it could it absolutely be that um but it's definitely horrifying and the fact that she just kind of leans toward the window and bobby doesn't seem no he's not that. nearly as freaked out as i was no. like, and, and, and even the woman in like the the yeah the, the mom, mom maybe the yeah. aunt, i don't know who it she's is she's shrieking and but she's, it's like it's not even really like frightened shrieking it's just kind of like oh repetitive God. yeah like someone, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> and it's funny because like she doesn't move to help this <laughs> no. girl or escape from the car like i feel like there's a there's an underreaction here to to seeing this very level zombie horror. level of, you know, whatever's going on here. Uh, no, yeah, Bobby doesn't respond the way I would. He doesn't offer to help. He doesn't do anything. He no. just kind of stands there. And he doesn't get scared either. So this so feels very dreamlike again. It did. And and that's where I, it's it's a Lynchian horror, right? Mm-hmm. This is And this is how Lynchian characters respond to that horror. Yeah. Um, Laura laughs when Bobby shoots a dude. Um, Bobby stares at the zombie child horror in the front seat. rises seat. from the front yeah. seat. Yeah, uh, and from complete darkness. It looked like she was materializing from the, the seat itself. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was just such a horrific scene. Some other links that have come up that other people have brought up are that uh, it seems a lot like the Got a Light sequence from Part 8, where you've got people in the car who are kind of panicking, and then a figure at the door, at the window, and there's horror going on but yeah but we don't really know what what actually is happening here but, so. but it's kind of funny because that's almost an inversion because it is in the yeah. car like they were terrified of a guy just asking for a light mm-hmm. you know but it had this mystical power over them whereas bobby's not at all freaked out by this mystical thing that's happening right in front of him that's not at all normal yeah and not at all just someone talking to somebody it's mm-hmm. it's this creature that's like coming across the seat too like yeah, he winds yeah. up like spittling onto the woman, the woman yeah. and it's you know it's really intense mm-hmm. and they're not reacting if somebody even wondered if it was the same woman in the car as oh. back in and i we didn't do that much research into it to find no. out who that actress was and who this actress is um but the the links are definitely there and and if this girl is infected with the the fricket, the fricket um then that makes it even extra creepy i think so the next scene is um, Sheriff Truman and Hawk in the conference room looking over the coordinates that they were given to Jack Rabbit's place. Jack Rabbit's palace, sorry. Um, so they're looking, Truman is looking on Google Maps, mm-hmm. but Hawk pulls out this this old looking map that he says, it's really interesting, he says that it's very old but always current. It's mm-hmm. like a living thing. Yeah. And I wondered, you know, what that meant is it does it constantly change is it is it like a that, that's a, what i picture it's like it's you op- like <laughs> well yeah no you open it up two months later and things have moved because yeah like there's literally a different it's it's very it's, it's an adaptable thing it is a mystical thing yeah right? um it's interesting that that this is the first time that hawk is showing truman this yeah. like you know truman's yeah. gone through the, the motions of like getting out his laptop and plugging in the coordinates and all the while hawk has had this map you know just stored away somewhere but 
Either way. Um, no, but it, it is, It is like, it feels like a very much like just a plot device. Yeah, like, well, it, yeah. It, it doesn't it feel really earned. It doesn't feel like this is something that Hawk could have looked up many times in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, or season we two, yeah. we could have used this when he was looking up, you know, all the Or we could have seen Black it, you know, stuff. a couple of episodes ago mm-hmm. when all those times that we've seen him sitting at his desk, you know, he could have had it open or he could have had it around. It just magically appears at this point. Mm-hmm. And it, it does kind of lead to something that we'll get to at the end of this little bit here but um let's finish describing what happened um hawk explains the pieces on the 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 map you know blue pine mountain where briggs's station station was was. um he's got symbols of fire that that he explains it's not a campfire but um a type of fire that is more like modern day electricity Mm -hmm. and uh that it's, it's not good or bad. It's kind of morally neutral. It depends on the intention behind the fire. It's mm-hmm. it The fire in itself is not bad, but there's an intention behind the fire that makes it good or bad. I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. Um, then he talks about the date and how the day after tomorrow uh, aligns with the corn. Uh, well, the stars in the sky, first of all, he yes. says, is where you'll read it. But then also that the, there's a representation of corn. Mm-hmm. And corn is typically a fertility symbol. Yes, but it's um, here it's black. Yes, and it's supposed to be an unnatural death, mm-hmm. and not not or not just unnatural rotting. and yeah. death. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and and then, then when you put the fire and the corn together, what do you get? Yeah, you get the black fire. Yes, uh, which is interesting because black fiery smoky thing was what Dougie disappeared in in the red room yes. uh, before the gold orb appeared. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's there's perhaps a connection there. Also, just black lodge, black fire. Right. Uh, you know, the fire from uh, the explosion yep. in part eight uh, was literally black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that And we've as seen well. lots of the, the cool visuals of like ink and water and stuff. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a black ink? Yeah. Inky scene. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that all kind of looks smoky, fiery too. So, yeah. Uh, and then Truman points out the black, I'm going to call it like ant shaped. Creature, it's just it's, a circle. It, with lo- the, it looks a lot like the owl cave symbol, just mm-hmm. you know, less stylized. Yes. I think. Uh, and he asks, "Well, this was on Major Briggs's note as well. Uh, what is it?" And Hawk, in a great mystery moment, and this is you know, again the or a great secret moment, I guess mm. I would say, because again, going back to the secret history of Twin Peaks and the distinctions between secrets and mysteries, yeah. mysteries are there to be solved and always will be, but secrets are something that human beings keep from each other. This is something that Hawk is keeping from us. And it yes. feels... Again, and this, from Truman. Yeah, and it yeah. feels a little stupid. It feels yeah. like, no, I'm your boss. I asked you this. I need to know. Like, yeah. But Hawk's like, you never want to know about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have the really moment, which is one of the scenes from the, the trailer. Yeah. Was Hawk saying really. Yeah. Um, so we get that finally. Yeah. And then Lucy breaks the tension a little bit. Uh, she says, like, I don't know why I'm ever looking at furniture. I'm never home. Uh, and then she transfers the log lady in again. Right. Who speaks to Hawk. And what, is, what does she say? Hello, Margaret. Hawk? Can you hear me? Yes, Margaret. Hawk? Can you hear me? Yes, Margaret. You found something, didn't you? It's just like you said. I'm sorry. I, I should have let you know. What did you find, Hawk? Margaret, I can't tell you that. My log is afraid of fire. There's fire where you are going. 
caught. There's fire where you are going. Okay, Margaret. Good night, Hawk. Good night. And thank you, Margaret. So she says, uh, she says two things twice. She, she asks if Hawk can hear her twice, and then she says, um, There's fire there's, where you are going. Yes, which is the twice. episode title, right? Uh, which is interesting, but again, yeah, people are talking twice, um, and it, obviously there's there's implications that, again, her log is her husband. She's still afraid of the fire mm-hmm. that killed him, um, and I think the implication is pretty clear that Hawk should be afraid of wherever they're going. Right. You, know, you need to be scared of this Well, and fire. while this is happening, um, we, hear, we, we hear Margaret speaking, and we see Truman looking at the map, and he's looking at these symbols that, mm-hmm. that Margaret is talking about, and... Uh, I think the gravity of the situation is finally hitting him, if it hasn't already. And it's interesting that he is so on board with this as well. It's it's for someone who feels like he doesn't really know a lot about what's gone on and started off without being very, or started off being not as invested in, in Margaret and the supernatural side of things. Mm-hmm. He is, like his brother was, uh, opened up to it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get a... a Brief interruption from Deputy Jesse, who wants to show Sheriff Truman his car, which seems like a throwaway, but maybe we'll come back to to play an interesting. We, yeah. Cars bring are brought up a lot in well, the, the last the, couple of episodes. Yeah, but this one especially. This one especially. There's there's quite a bit of car talk and car scenes. There's scenes in cars, especially with the uh, Dimension Brothers mm-hmm. later on. Uh, it's it's interesting. It just I think it's just worth noting. Uh, I don't know if there's a, a deeper meaning to it, but I think yeah, I definitely think Jesse's car is going to come back um Possibly. it's especially interesting that he he starts talking about it's 2000 he doesn't specify yeah. the model year no, number again. we're never going to get a hard <laughs> number on when this is happening but uh it's great so two things i wanted to bring up first mm-hmm. one is do you think it's interesting that lucy's talking about furniture in this episode where two episodes ago is when they actually bought the furniture i wonder if this if that scene was meant to be taking place after this like she's just starting to look at furniture with andy and maybe this is out of sequence as well. Could be. Uh, I still, I viewed it as they're looking at more furniture. More furniture? Yeah. Okay. That was just mine. Um, the second thing that I wanted to bring up, which was actually posed to us on Twitter this morning, was the idea that does it bother us or should we be looking at the fact that Hawk is is playing a um, quote-unquote magical Negro character. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, the magical Negro is a character in literature and film and that um, has existed for a couple hundred years, probably 250 years or so, in English literature anyway, where it's um, a black character, an African-American character, who uh, comes into the role or comes into the life of a almost always white male character mm-hmm. and helps them in some way to realize their full potential. Yeah. Um, Usually it's your mystical mumbo yes, jumbo kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So whether it's like literal, you know, magic. voodoo, magic, yeah. something, you know, really awfully racist in a lot of cases, or whether it's like... Um, well, like a Morgan Freeman in Shawshank yes, Redemption. Yes, exactly. You know, who just steps yeah. in and, and becomes like the... the uh, yeah, the, the, the guider for exactly. Yeah, the, the guide. Yeah, the guide. Yeah, for the white character. Yeah, and and, yeah. and it's something that I hadn't thought about until just now, the today, because I think you know season one and season two, Hawk, 
really bucked that. And mm-hmm. and he had an interesting backstory. He had a girlfriend who went to Brandeis University. He he's he a seemed poet to, and, yeah, yeah you know. he had he had a life and he had a role that was separate from like I I. I feel like it was separate from his identity as a Native American character. Mm-hmm. It was that was just one facet of who he was. Um, as many times as it was referenced or or he talked about it, um, it didn't fall into that trope. Whereas in the return, and it, co- it goes to what you were saying, Aiden, about a lot of these characters playing to type. Yeah. Um, has he fallen into that? Is that yeah. something that you feel is is problematic? No, well, or? yeah, no, I definitely think it's a valid criticism. I think. The only thing that kind of mitigates it a little bit is the fact that all these characters are playing to types. Right. Uh, Lucy, we talked about Lucy and Andy specifically. You know, yeah. they, they're really just these clownish, can't even understand how mobile phones work. Right. Kind of walking jokes, really. Um, whereas Wally in the Brando original, plays yeah, a, Wally, yeah, it's type. literally yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's literally playing Marlon Brando. Yeah, the type. Genie uh, E is a, is a type. Yeah, the mobsters are a type. I mean, in in some of these cases, they end up shifting and becoming bit, yeah. subverted. But but at least in as far as some of these Twin Peaks characters are, they haven't been yet. Mm-hmm. And I I'm I'm struggling because I don't want to think that that Hawk is that. Well, I mean, type, I, I think. Yeah, I think we can still view him as the character because we know the character well enough that, um, you know, we were all so excited that he was Deputy Hawk Mm -hmm. or he was, you know, uh, Assistant Chief or Sheriff or whatever it is, his new title this year. Um, Like, yeah, of course, he's the best cop (laughs) that they have, you know, so he should be. Uh, But it was it. But that's only because we had season two and one with us where we had his previous character development in the return. Really, almost everybody is playing that that limited role mm-hmm. it, you don't have much room to uh build these other facets for them right um and when you do it's very quick it's very brief you have to read a lot into it like yeah. the mitchum brothers like janie e uh she's not just the shrewish, shrewish house, housewife she also you know she has a libido like okay wow that's 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 a huge change in character um and i think that is one of the failings of this season um is that it really the characters don't feel like fully formed characters they're using that to their advantage in that you're getting snippets of the character and you get enough of the snippet that you're like okay it's this type i understand i'm supposed to not like them right now yeah and then you can move on and then when they reveal a little bit more you can say oh, okay I, I misjudged them or they led me down this path yeah and, but now i'm seeing more of the character and it's providing more uh and i, I can change my opinion of them but that 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 only works for the characters that you choose to do that with. If you have something like Richard Horn, who is just straight up evil from the mm-hmm. very first time we've met him, and he's probably going to be evil right up until something bad happens to him, hopefully, yeah. uh, then, you know, you don't have that. Mm-hmm. And it really does make the characters feel a little more flat, mm-hmm. um, which was not really a problem in the original series because you had, uh, I think, a, a limited, a more limited scope. Right. Uh, in terms of what was ca- of cap- what they were capable of, um, yeah. this has a limited scope in that it's an eighteen-hour movie. Yeah. So everything's been defined, and they can work within that. But I still feel like there might be some characters that we never get that 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 further exposition for. Well, and and it's if if this is something that that um, they've fallen back on for some characters, I'm a I'm disappointed that they would fall back on it for someone as important to mm-hmm. the story as Hawk. As Hawk yeah. Um, and why they would revert to um to this kind of trope when we had such a, a, a rich character built up already. You didn't mm-hmm. need to have him defined as a trope. 
So maybe it's not a trope. Maybe maybe it's a tropish moment that he pulls out this magic map and it yeah. happens to lead them directly Feels to a it. Bit more, yeah. But it's not his whole character. Like, but although what, what, everything what, that that yeah. he's been doing has this been defined season. by his heritage. Yes. So, and that's been very clearly w- w- told to him mm-hmm. and to us by everyone that that he's come across. It has to do with his heritage. Well, so, and, and, he, and he says a lot of just cryptic things, you know, yeah. which which plays to that stereotype. Which is it's the, not it's not necessarily that he's saying it. You know, in 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 the typical magical Negro um, trope, it would be very clear that this person would be trying to help, whereas. Yes, Hawk is very clearly trying to help, but he he is also withholding information, and I don't feel like that's. But then again, you withhold the information until the white character is ready to yeah, hear it. Yeah, so exactly. is yeah. is that like what's that happening? I'm 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 not hundred percent. Like I'm I'm kind of sixty forty, and I don't even know which sixty forty is because it's switching from minute to minute. But um, yeah, I I'm really curious to hear what other people are are yeah, thinking. Yeah, yeah. Share share your thoughts with us on this one because I think that'll be. Something that, that's worth discussing. And again, we don't have we haven't seen the whole thing. No. Perhaps Hawk's girlfriend shows up in part seventeen sure, and, or, and adds this extra layer to his character. Or something his, else will happen. His four that, kids or something, <laughs> you know, right? So or yeah. something else entirely different will happen, and, and it will it will redefine his character mm-hmm. um, in a less yeah less stereotypical type, role. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. Sure. So. Right after this, we get uh, we go to Buckhorn again, and we get uh, the aftermath of what happened to the FBI agents and the detectives mm-hmm. and Diane. And uh, Gordon's right hand was shaking mm-hmm. quite violently, and he calls it the cat on the hot tin roof, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. But um, the fact that his right hand is shaking as well, because that's what happened to all the characters at the end of season two. Mm-hmm. Pete, the woman in the diner, Cooper himself, yeah. um, all experienced tremors in their hands. So... Um, again, this the hint into the mythology that that is maybe a symptom of coming into contact with the lodge or the yeah a lodge adjacency or something yes. like that because it was always shaking literally just a day or two before yeah. they entered the the black lodge um, or before the black lodge broke th- yeah. broke through yeah so so in this instance it's Cole's hand after he's almost been sucked up it's also if I remember correctly the same hand. Um, didn't he draw a right hand on the drawing from last yeah, episode, reaching yeah. through towards the deer? So um, was this some kind of foretelling that he was going to yeah. experience this or something? Or, or right hands just important? I mean, we talk about left and right being the left side being the sinister side and the right hand being the helpful side. No, in, in, in <laughs> it's like a common thing in literature where, you know, you cut off the left arm because the left arm was sinister. Left hands were sinister. That's why they always forced kids to write with their right hands and stuff. Left hand people were considered sinister because I've the left was before. sinister. Seriously? Never. That's really interesting and stupid to me, but I like <laughs> well, it. Well, it's it's like old Yeah, no, I get it. I'm just But even yeah, even okay. um the the Latin word for left handedness is sinister. Oh really? Yeah. So That's I mean, great. it's this is something that goes back to like the the roots of of our common literature. So, mm-hmm. um, but the fact that it's the right hand that is affected when they're maybe it's the sign that like their goodness is going to be affected in some way. I or don't know. Challenged or, or challenged or challenged. That maybe is a, a good bit. way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah. He, Albert suggests milk for <laughs> to, the hat. to calm the cat. Yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting. It's just funny um, for the cat on the roof, and then Gordon's like, "Yes, the picture about Ruth, Ruth or the yeah. picture of Ruth, which is 
Yeah, yeah I think we'll insert it because we did a terrible job there. But really, but okay. <laughs> um, so Albert pulls out the photo and shows it to him and Diane. Yeah, at just the right angle. That just Diane the right can angle, see. and it's obvious that she's trying to memorize it. She's reading, she's mouthing it as she looks at the numbers. So Albert is clearly showing it so that she can see, right? Yes, and yes. he's doctored it. Oh, that, that's my presumption is yeah. that he changed the numbers so that wherever Dan, Diane, Diane gets sent is not where they're going to go. Right. Um, and what's interesting here is is partly that also that she catches him catching her yeah um and you know they have this little moment and then she instantly is like oh i need a smoke like and she kind of just deflects deflects everything right. um and they have a, again a funny back and forth about you know fuck Diane, you albert fuck you albert for about the smoking <laughs> yeah um then he says the coordinates point to a small town in the north and gets cut off yes and so I feel that's for the audience. I think, you know, we're, they're going to find out that it, I, I feel like it's not going to be the Northwest. Uh, I think people online have just I've seen a couple of people just assuming, oh, yeah, they're talking about Twin Peaks. Well, I thought that some people have enhanced the photo in a CSI way. Enhance. Mm, enhance, enhance. Enhance. But they found out that it, it leads to Colville, Washington, okay. which is which is a town. But I don't know because some of the coordinate, the numbers were smudged. So I don't know. If that well, yeah. And, into or it. yeah. Or, yeah. Four looks like an eight or something right, like that. Right. And they've, they've screwed it all up on purpose for us. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's not going to go with Twin Peaks. No. That, oh, be I don't think it'll be Twin Peaks. Well, no, I'm saying it won't be the Northwest Washington. I think okay. it'll be North Dakota, maybe. Like, okay. Instead of South Dakota, they're going across the border or something like that. That would be a very or Northern good California thing or to do. Something like could that. Could be. Right? Could be. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what that's my prediction for the week. Yeah. Going on the record, probably be wrong. Uh, but anyways, they they're they're cut off by donuts and coffee, yep. which is uh, the policeman's dream. Yeah. Um, contrasted with the senator's nightmare, isn't that what what Gordon <laughs> yeah, said in right. his first scene? <laughs> um, so Mackley lets Diane smoke in there, which is interesting mm-hmm. that uh, he just kind of gives up at this point. He's seen too much shit. I think he just doesn't care anymore. Um, I found it interesting and. Again, saw this online as well. A lot of people have noticed it that Diane seems to be hovering above the rest yes. of them. So she's sitting on this spindly. She's very tall and spindly mm-hmm. looking as well, like the bob mm-hmm. uh, revealing like so much neck. Neck, yes, yes. <laughs> um, she's crossed her legs and she's sitting on this high stool above everyone else. And she's the only one wearing any bright colors. She's mm-hmm. wearing like Christmas colors, her mm-hmm. white hair. Uh, I think, is it yeah, a, red like a red jacket, jacket and green think, pants? Yeah, yeah. Or vice versa. Yeah. Um, but anyway, everybody else is dressed in fairly staid, you know, FBI standard issue detective uniform. Yeah. Um, but they all bite into their donuts and coffee. And, and Mackley uh, gives kind of an overview saying, yeah. like, we didn't find Briggs' head. We didn't find uh, uh, any suspects. But it was definitely Ruth Davenport's body. Yeah. Um, and then Cole and Albert basically start talking about the homeless man that they saw. Yeah. Um, they describe him as being kind of scruffy looking with a beard and a wool cap. And yeah. Diane says that she thinks she saw someone similar to that exiting the car. Exiting the car, which is the opposite of what we saw yeah. and what presumably Diane actually saw. Um, so it's again, it's raising the question, why is she even talking about it? Yeah. You know, if if she's working for Doppelkoop, she wouldn't want any connection made between her and this thing. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to have any information they might be able to get out of her or lead them anywhere. Um and then she backtracks. She says, well, I, I said I wasn't sure when, yeah, yeah. Asked, when Tamara says I didn't see anything either. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. that's when Cole remembers that he saw three of them in a room yeah. uh, right before Albert pulled them out. And it's funny they sit in a room because it, it's a st- it's pretty clearly a staircase that they were right, on. Right, but it's 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 not an outdoor space. I think yeah, that, okay. was the, that was yeah. the delineation that he was outdoors and he went into a room and saw these people yeah. in that room. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think that's all to... Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is... 
it's interesting again diane what what is her game plan here mm-hmm. you know it, it it doesn't seem like she's just following or just spying purely for doppelkooper yeah. uh it seems like she's also giving some nuggets of information to the police and fbi is that on purpose is that Doppelkoop's intention? Is it something else? It makes me wonder, and I'm going to call him Mr. C because that's been officially made canon, by the way. Kyle McLaughlin refers to him as Mr. C. He he said that at Comic-Con this week, so. And David Lynch calls him Doppelkoop. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, how did I miss that? (laughs) Well, I'm going to go with Kyle, and I'm going to call him Mr. C. Um, I think that uh, it's possible that maybe she is playing both sides against the middle for her own gain mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. So I, I still don't know how she's doing that. But um, yeah. again, just to reiterate, she is one fascinating character that I'm definitely, I, I wasn't completely on board when I first met her. And I didn't really want to meet her, no. but she's turned into such a cool character that yeah. I can't wait to see where, where yeah. we go with her. No, for sure. We don't get any more of her in this episode because no, we, we spend the rest of the episode in Las Vegas. Yes. And we have Bushnell Mullins calling Dougie into his office yeah. and Phil Bisbee leading him with coffee, oh, uh, luring so him into into Bushnell's office. Yeah. Um, Bushnell kind of lays it out that uh, Dougie has uncovered this insurance fraud scheme and he thinks that this organized crime ring is out to kill him. Mm-hmm. And he's using the proof of the car attempted car explosion and then the attempted murder um, from like a couple of days yeah. before as proof of this. So... Um, he figures he knows now that the Mitchum brothers were actually owed money from this insurance that it it wasn't arson that they actually the three or thirty million dollars that that they think they've been screwed out of by Dougie Mm -hmm. because that's what Tony told them right they actually are owed that money so and the fact that they called Bushnell to talk to Dougie means Bushnell is going to give Dougie the money to give to them, a check for 30 million bucks. And he says, it's fine. I took out another insurance policy to cover our losses on this, so I'm actually coming out ahead on the game. Yeah, and I love that he uses his boxing metaphor. He's like, ah, old Bushnell always punched above his weight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nobody could keep me on the ropes too long and everything. And it's interesting because at the start of the scene when uh, Phil's leading him in, he's doing push-ups on his desk still, you know? This is an older gentleman uh, who's, you know, he's still got it. He's still, he's pushing it. And I love, um, this is something we haven't talked about much, but I mean, last week we did mention, you know, Cooper looks pretty good for 55 or whatever, right? There are a lot of older characters, older actors playing older characters Mm -hmm. that are getting a lot of screen time. A lot of screen time for this. very different from most TV shows. Well, Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, Hollywood is obsessed with youth. And here we have, you know, really a meditation on all these older characters and what they're going through. Exactly. But it's not about just being decrepit. No. Or, or, you know, traditional ways of looking at at being being older. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's, It's really positive. I mean, even... You know, my initial thought when Cole and Albert approach the hole in the fence, I'm like, oh, Cole's too old to, <laughs> to squeeze under, and he just does it. And yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's not a big deal. I'm like, yeah, that's just my own bias of yeah. how old people are presented on, not even old people, but I mean, yeah, well, yeah he's but, pretty but old even, at this even point. Yeah, Hollywood version of old, mm-hmm. right? A, a woman of 40 is too old. Oh, yeah. So, exactly. But here we have a woman like Janie E or um, Diane, Diane or, or Lucy uh, or... Yeah. Um, I mean, Tammy, uh, Krista Bell is in her. She's, she's 39 yeah, or 40. 30, yeah, yeah. Um, Even, uh, what's her name? Uh, Ashley Judd. Yeah. Uh, is, you know, in her 40s, 
looks great, does yeah. it all, you and know. And it's not and just about looking great. It's about being exactly. on, they're, functional they're, and yes, the, and they're on top of their game, yes, right? Exactly. They're not they're not decrepit and fallen into mm-hmm. um, into disuse or, yeah. or disrepair. Other things are causing young people to fall into disrepair. Yes, exactly. The drugs. The drugs and everything. Um, yeah. Beverly's husband being sick with this sickness that yeah. seems to be spreading or or um, yeah, all the, young people <laughs> being uh, handicapped in some way Mm -hmm. you know we we haven't really met linda yet but we hear she needs a wheelchair and um it's just it's interesting that this is the the way that these except for wally brando most of the young people we've met have been drug addicts yeah like you know well we have no proof that wally brando isn't a drug addict he does talk a lot like some kind of space cadet but (laughs) (laughs) uh but anyways yeah going back to, to the actual scene yeah uh bushnell gives him the check for thirty million, says you've got a meeting at five thirty yep. with the Mitchell brothers. Yep. Um, and then he's like, "We're ready to do this." Uh, I thought it was interesting that um, that in this scene, especially, we've we've been kind of led along this path that uh, Bushnell is kind of a father figure to Coop, which matches up very nicely with the way that David Lynch viewed his Bushnell in his own real life, that mm-hmm. the, the men who he knew yeah. um, as kind of a, a mentor figure. Yeah. So his cipher on screen yeah. as I, Cooper yeah. is now being mentored by another Bushnell. Yeah. I, I really like that. Yeah. And the fact that Bushnell calls him uh, an agent. Mm-hmm. He's, insur- yeah. he's an insurance agent, yeah. and that is an absolutely <laughs> correct term that you would use to... Yeah. But I like the way that he's like, he wouldn't put his agent out in the field with, like... With the Mitchell brothers, because yeah. they're dangerous guys. Yeah. He knows this, but, but I, I, it's going to be a good I, thing. I was kind of waiting for another... Um, light bulb to go off Mm -hmm. very dim light bulb but a light bulb nonetheless to go off in cooper's mind um at the mention of him being an agent yeah didn't happen no but but we got it uh which is just good uh so then we go to the mitchum house Mm -hmm. it's 2 30 in the afternoon and the mitchums are just getting up but they're going through the motions they're having orange juice and cereal for breakfast and uh and candy announces that uh bradley uh mitchum is going is just got out of the bathroom um and he does he comes in sits down He's, he's kind of upset. He, he pours his cereal and he fills it with milk, but he, he just can't eat. And he tells Rodney about his the dream that he had mm-hmm. about killing Dougie Jones. He's fucking hates him. He's he just wants to kill him. He, want, he can't wait to kill this guy. Yeah. Um, and Rodney has this great scene. He can't wait three hours? Yeah. He's like, barely. Just, uh, <laughs> I guess I can make it wait. It comes back to that the idea from last week that these guys are so fed up with being stuck in this storyline that they just wanted the forward momentum to just carry them through. They have yeah. all this pent-up aggression and energy but they can't channel it anywhere yes. yet well, and again relating to what we said last week uh jim belushi here does an amazing job of playing to his strength as a comedian yes. as you know like a guy who's you know this fed up middle-aged dude who's mm-hmm. just like oh i just I gotta do something and, yeah. and you know and it pays off here and in the next scene as well yeah uh which is also great so um so outside the Lucky Seven Insurance Building, Bushnell is leading Dougie downstairs, but uh, Dougie notices um, off to the side to his right uh, a vision of Mike in the red room, Way kind of forward waves again, him yeah. forward. So he follows. He Looks knows right to follow again. that. Yeah. Um, and Bushnell follows after him, and we don't know what that is. I yeah, I don't it's know Simon, Simon, but we don't get, or at least we couldn't see it. Yeah, on our small TV. Um, what it, what it says. Yeah, but he comes out with a box, a very large box, yeah, very tall box, and uh, and you know, okay, we'll get no, we'll get there. Um, they walk over to the limo that the Mitchums have sent, and Bushnell reiterates that he's in 
with another boxing metaphor, I'm in your corner, mm-hmm. champ. Yeah. And he, he gives him a little fake punch on the chin and says, knock him dead. Mm-hmm. And I love how the way that Cooper kind of grabs his face yeah. and like massages it a little bit, like it's he like, says, dead. dead. Yeah. And He's a little scared. We, well, yeah, we laughed at it the first time, but I couldn't help but but view that as some kind of like throwback to the way that Mr. C killed Jack, the mechanic guy yeah. that, that he worked with in part two, mm-hmm. um, just because of the way that he kept rubbing his face. And it, it begs some questions that I, I think we may get answer to answers to once Cooper comes back to himself. Is he going to remember the things that Mr. C did while he was acting as mm-hmm. out in the world, right? Um, because they, they are two of the same yeah. people. Yeah, it's worth considering. Um, so anyway, they drive down the strip. Um, to and, Sean Colvin's cover of Viva Las Vegas. And, and I love this. Uh, <laughs> I know online I saw already like five or six comments of people being like, how much did David Lynch get paid to <laughs> include this song? But I, I thought it was it was an ode to the city that's taken such good care of, of Dougie. Yeah, In the okay. end, you know, he's, he's had a prostitute, very Las Vegas. He's had a casino, very Las Vegas. He's had a, a wife in Lancelot Court, very Las Vegas. He's and had he's, a brush with bookies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Bookies and the cops. And now he's going to meet a gangster out in the desert. This is the most Vegas experience ever. And this is their little ode to it. Saying, but it's not It's not the, the Elvis version. It's not flashy. Exactly. Big. It's like a soft, yeah. like contemporary, you know, but, Sean Colvin cover yeah. of an Elvis song. Right? But but if but it feels like, uh, it, I think that that adds to it because it feels mm-hmm. like this is my, my initial thought when I saw this is like this is the end of uh, Cooper of Dougie Coop because once we get back here, it's going to be Cooper who comes back. Mm-hmm. That was my initial thought. It didn't right. happen this episode, yeah. but I felt like this is a goodbye song to mm, okay. Dougie's storyline, and it and it it's not a rollicking great time it was kind of slow and plodding and it, it yeah, had a yeah. you know a softer edge to it than than i think we were all expecting from cooper um and yeah and it's it's just a it's a goodbye song that's what it felt like to me mm-hmm. and you get these nice shots again although you complained that they were going I the just, wrong up well, and down the strip no, they're and, heading you know you head south down the strip and then the next shot is them coming north yeah. up the strip because you see the same and uh, you know Maybe I've been to Vegas too many times, yeah, maybe, but, uh, but that's okay. these kinds of things, just little things and being nitpicky, they're just going to bug me a little bit. Um, but I will say it was interesting that um, the way the, the song cuts off right after mm-hmm. the, the line, cut. fortunes won and lost, we don't get lost, Yeah. but it, it made you wonder what was going to happen out in the desert. Is this going to be a, a lost fortune that mm-hmm. we get? Um we find out very quickly because we follow the, the limousine out onto a desert highway mm-hmm. um, past some, you know, ruined adobo style houses. And uh, we get the Mitchums in their car debating the righteousness of killing Dougie Jones. And kind, kind, of, kind of, I think they are wrestling with this because Bradley well, yeah. at this point is, is his dream is coming back to yeah. him. And he's like, yeah, well, he did kill like the spike for us. And yeah. Rodney's like, he didn't kill him for us. Yeah. And. But he explains his dream, and I love this because, um, you know, we talked about the subverting the expectation of the mobster in, in the last mm-hmm. our last episode, um, and here we have a mobster who is taking a Cooper path to, you know, you know, this is one step away from Tibetan rock throwing, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's listening to his dream. He's like. Rodney, the cut that Candy gave you was gone in my dream. And he goes and just rips the Band-Aid off and the cut is healed, which is like magic. I don't know how that happened. And it actually made me think like maybe these are like these characters are aware now that they're in some kind of lucid dream and they're able to like control what's happening (laughs) in the dream. Yeah. 
That would be I can't, awesome. I can't <laughs> I explain how, how else yeah. the cut that was there yesterday is no longer there. Yeah. Um, but it, it, he's taking the dream seriously, which mm-hmm. is something that previously we've only seen Cooper do. Yeah. Um, and and Rodney is now cast as the the reluctant Sheriff Truman, you know, character yeah, who like, doesn't really buy crazy. into what's what are you going talking on. About? Yeah. Uh, slightly more murderous yeah. than Sheriff Truman, yeah. but. Um, and he and he's like there was something more about the dream and he's frustrated that he can't remember it but then when the limo pulls up Dougie steps out with the box and Bradley remembers that he saw that box that yeah. box was in his dream and he calls Rodney aside and says if a certain something is in the box we can't kill Dougie and Rodney's like what the fuck are you talking yeah. about um, he means like, that we're not he's not our enemy he's not our enemy yeah. so Rodney it, eventually Bradley tells Rodney what is in the box and Rodney just, just pulls like, up his oh gun God, he's like what's in the box <laughs> yeah. is there a cherry pie in the box and Dougie goes cherry, cherry pie. pie and Bradley goes over to look and there's a cherry pie in the box and it's just like this this hilarious moment of like oh my god what is, what is going on yeah. so they pat him down and they find the check for 30 million and all of a sudden they're best friends with this guy like yeah. Dougie is their best friend and they take him to this fancy restaurant yeah the next scene yeah um yeah, and it, I just love there's a there's a scene or there's a line he says I love this guy and it's yeah. Jim Belushi at his best and I'm like yeah. Yeah. all of a sudden I love you too Jim Belushi yeah, you yeah. you were perfectly cast I take yeah, back everything again, I said. absolutely same thing I felt about Matthew Lillard Lillard mm-hmm. I the same thing I felt about Matthew Lillard I felt about Jim Belushi and David Koechner to a certain extent yeah. I thought how are these characters going to fit into this world and they've done so with a plum like mm-hmm. I'm just so blown away David Lynch just knows how to cast these characters so and and both he and Mark Frost know how to write write them beautifully mm-hmm. so in this fancy restaurant we get a conversation about a gym set yeah if no, Sunny Jim doesn't have a gym set yeah well we don't know if he actually does or doesn't because <laughs> Cooper, Cooper is just repeating what he's hearing but I love this little glimpse into the Mitchums because they're like even the orphanage had a, had yeah. a gym set well so it makes like, sense like they don't look like brothers right no. they, they, but they were they were raised together you yeah. know, they're brothers in, in that way and, and I, I love that it's like yeah. a, it's like a one line but it establishes this whole backstory yeah. for them it's just like it's really touching. You're like, oh, yeah. wow, these guys are... Maybe a little tragic. Like, yeah. you can start imagining all the things that brought them together and maybe humanizes them even more than mm-hmm. what we've already and seen. And also maybe explains why they, they take such pity on Candy exactly. and, and the other girls, exactly. you know, potentially. Um, um, so they they do a toast to, to, to Dougie. Dougie. Yeah. Um, he has to be shown what a toast actually <laughs> means because he goes to take the drink from Rodney and they... He tries the champagne, and I was expecting him to just spit it out yeah, because it wasn't coffee. Yeah. He was going to be upset about it, but he doesn't seem to hate it. Well, he doesn't seem to love it. No, either. he's it's, just... it's his mouth reacts. Mm-hmm. I feel like the taste buds are doing his mouth work yeah. for him. He's not con- <laughs> in control over them anymore. He's just like it's bitter and it's bubbly, and he doesn't know what to make of it. Yeah. Right? Um, but then he sets it down, and uh, we hear this melancholy song start. Yeah. Playing on the so there's piano. a piano. There's yeah. a pianist at the start, and he's playing, playing this like a upbeat. jaunty, upbeat song. Yeah. But then this melancholy tune kind of takes over, and at yeah. first I thought it was going to be Laura yeah. Palmer. I thought it was Laura's theme. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's a new original uh, con- composition by Angela Bellamenti yeah. called Heartbreak, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. Or Heartache. Heartache. Heartbreak. Heartbreaker. Heart something. Something, yep. Something um, with hearts. And, and Cooper kind of watches the piano for a while. And then the old woman from the casino who called him Mr. Jackpots comes over and she is dressed to the nines. Yeah. She's absolutely gorgeous yeah. and her hair he's is done. done and, makeup's on and everything, yeah. And she starts thanking him for mm-hmm. everything that he's done for her. Like mm-hmm. now she has a house, she has a little dog, she has her life back. Yeah. And her, her son there. is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, um, and she says to the Mitchums, you, you, do you know what kind of wonderful man you're dining with? Like yeah. he saved my life. And Bradley's like, he saved a lot for us too. <laughs> yeah. 
and and she thanks him and thanks him and it's like all this adulation being poured on Cooper um, who doesn't really seem to know what is going on. But he is, he reacts on the on a sentimental level, yeah. on an emotional level. He can understand whether it's just the music perhaps that's playing that, but yeah. his face looks like, yes, oh my God, I'm so glad I could help you, you know? Well, and, and then when she says, I'm so glad I could thank you again, and he says, thank you Very again. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, I mean, we, a lot of ink has been spilled writing about Dougie as a, um, kind of a sensory character who just reacts to things on a sensory level. He mm. enjoys the taste of coffee, um, the sight of a red balloon or of a gun, ca- like st- um, the statue of the mm-hmm. gun. The cowboy and everything. Cowboy, yeah, that's yeah. the one. The cow guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's he's just, he's very uh, id and, and reactionary, right? Mm-hmm. And... But but the fact that, yeah, here, um, the music seems to be affecting him in a way that, you know, and that's important, as we were told right at the beginning, to listen to the sounds. Um, that's what he's doing in the scene. He's listening to the sound of the music, and he's listening to the words, and he's repeating the words. It feels like this is a powerful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that, the, scene, that the, the episode ends with another toast, and then the credits roll, without going to the roadhouse, were just played out by this, this pianist. Um, I think that's really yeah. a, a a cool way to end it. Yeah. Oh, you missed a part though. I did. The girls come by. With oh, yes, coffee you're right. Again. Yeah. Um, and, and or no, and and more pie. pie I think. Yeah, more pie. Uh, yeah. Well, how could I miss the, the pie? pie. Yeah, oh my god. The most important part. And the Mitchums again ask Candy, "Where have you been?" And it takes three hours for her to respond. She's talking about how there was so much traffic on this strip. It was incredible, and there were cars just everywhere. And again, cars being potentially yeah. important in this episode, it's it's worth noting that that's what they focus on. I am holding out hope that Candy is still an FBI informant mm. and that that is part of how they will get Cooper back to okay. Twin Peaks is uh, this way. Um, but who knows? Uh, and yeah, Cooper bites into the pie. He really loves it. And yeah. uh, which one is it? Rodney. Is Rodney the one says, who is yeah, like, this, this is pie. damn good pie. Well, he says, this pie is damn good. Yeah. And then, you know, Cooper responds, damn good. And, yeah. You know, and it's like, yes, another another instance, and it's it's lovely. Like, none of it is enough to to push him back, but I feel like the, he's the blank slate that all of this is now being written on. Yeah. And coffee's there, check. Pie's there, check. Mm-hmm. Uh, sex. Sex is there, <laughs> check, I well, guess, like. And an important one here is friendship. Right. You know, they, like, get, yes. bring more pie for our friend, Dougie Jones. And he Jones. says friend. He says friend. In this, in this I mean, he's muffled, his, yeah. his mouth is full of pie, but. Yeah. But it is a very touching moment. Yeah. It, it a lot of people said it nearly brought them to tears. Yeah. Um, Dougie has a friend, you yeah. know, and it's like of all the people you would have picked on to form a friendship over the course of the show, right? Dougie Jones is not really high up on the list, but uh, he's done it here, and yeah. uh, and Dougie Coop, I should say, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it, I think it's really worthwhile to to consider that. And again, it's kind of what I was talking about last week with. Uh, um, sex and Janie, you know, he's having all these positive experiences, yeah. you know, even though there's bad things happening all around him, especially with like the spike, um, he's managed to make it really good and positive and mm-hmm. he's, he's got these friends now yeah, and they're going to help him presumably avoid, uh, Anthony's next attempt at, at murder, which is, which is what you predicted coming. last yes. week. Um, <sighs> Two correct predictions. Well, we said that at the beginning. <laughs> no, that my other prediction was, uh. The other thing. No, that the Mitchums would help him. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't think that, uh, but that, I, I was counting that as a separate prediction from ah, Anthony oh, having to kill him. Okay, anyways, right, yeah. so two and a half, right? Yeah, then okay, I guess. I'll take that, I'll take that. Um, but yeah, again, it's, it's, it's Cooper being rewritten 
He's being rebuilt from scratch. He's he's learning all of these things, all of the, having all of these human experiences in a very condensed time frame. Um, adult situations in some mm. cases, like we saw last week, but they're all going to lead to his being rebuilt and returned mm-hmm. to the world. Um, and then he's got to go find Laura, which I think will have to. Yeah, have that's to his next his next move. Uh, so before we jump into. Uh, John's, John's questions. questions yep. We did have a, a, an interesting set of questions from Jared Powelson on Twitter. Uh, he's at jpowelson176. And he asked us a couple of really good questions that I think uh, this might be a good time to, to do it because there are a lot of mysteries and a lot of things that we haven't quite solved yet um, that are still up in the air. And this might get to the heart of some of them. So he asks us that we've discussed a good deal on when and if we'll see Coop back to himself. Also, Audrey and Philip Jeffries, if we'll see them. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of those characters, who will we be most disappointed if we don't see them return to the yeah. return? And he's talking about characters who uh, have not been recast or who the original actor was still alive to play them. Yeah. Well, I'd say Harry definitely is. You'll be is disappointed if you didn't see him? Yeah. I mean, I know he's not on the cast list mm-hmm. and he's retired and everything, but I feel like... This was a, you know, this was was basically one of his biggest roles ever, and, and he was so good in it, you know. What are you talking about? Slapshot was amazing. Slapshot <laughs> was a movie that <laughs> happened, uh, and but you know, seriously, and like they've hinted at it so much already. I feel yeah. like he's he's waiting out in the wings. I um, hope so. Yeah, I think that would definitely be my number one. I'll I'll be disappointed if Philip Jeffries doesn't at least have some kind of voice role yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, or something, yeah. Um, just because of how important his character has been yeah. to Mr. C's arc. Yeah, and I think the other one would be if what we saw of Laura is all we saw of Laura right. somehow. I, yeah. I don't see how that's possible, really, given how much importance has been yeah. given to her, especially since Part 8. But, you know, if that was it, if the rest of it is just some pseudo-interaction with Laura, I right. think that would be kind of disappointing. Yeah. I, would, I still want to see... Um, a happy ending for Laura, even yeah. more so than what we got in Firewalk with me. So, um, which characters have we not seen that you think will have the most important roles or vital roles to play mm, that we haven't seen yet? And I, there aren't many. I yeah, think I Audrey think will have to be the one that, that yeah, plays. I think that would be the biggest one, just because of where we've been left with Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't see Big Ed playing a huge role. Um, mm, yeah, he was never a big role character anyway. But I feel like if they get the band back together, quote unquote, the yeah. Book House Boys yeah. kind of rejoin and, and they help the sheriff's department, yeah. uh, that could be interesting if they yeah. if they go with that. Yeah, I think I think uh, of the characters we have seen who have been relatively minor, I think Deputy Chad's going to play a bigger role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I kind of think Richard Horn will... Well, Richard Horn and Red, I think, are going to play hugely important roles before this is over. Yeah, I agree. Um, it'll just be a matter of how those stars align and yeah. whether... You know, Richard winds up just getting related back to Audrey and, and potentially his father and, and Doppelkoop, or if it's um, that also interacts with Red in some way, which we'd seen previously. Which know. might intersect with Shelley and Becky yeah, and exactly. Bobby, and the whole thing could. I mean, this is what I mean. Like the threads are starting to come together, but mm-hmm. but I'm I'm really liking the way that all these individual stories now, eleven hours in, have enough pieces that we can yes, start we can to start, put things we together. We can pull the connections. And, yeah, and, you a little know, bit. Yeah, I mean, also uh, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. We're still waiting on yeah. what's happening with that. So, and and of course the frigate girl, right? Never really got clarification if that's Sarah Palmer or not. Sarah Palmer, 
Yeah, we haven't seen. We have anything seen of one Sarah shot Maria. of her, and I, it wasn't the shot from the trailer. So. No, so I mean, yeah, we're still waiting for her to get drunk at the liquor store, but yeah. you know, potentially, hopefully, much, much more. We did get the shot of the exterior of their house too uh-huh. in the trailer, so uh-huh. we are going back there eventually. Mm-hmm. It'll just be a matter of who's going there, why, and and how. The final question Jared had for us was, what threads will we be most upset with if we don't see any more of them in the remaining episodes? Mm-hmm. And, and he threw out a few examples, like the convenience store denizens or anything from Secret History. So we did see some of the convenience store denizens. Mm-hmm. Um, if you or The yeah, convenience yeah, store itself, yeah. we saw that in this episode. Yeah. Um, I think Laura, the stuff yeah. with Laura, any of Laura's plot lines, I'll be disappointed with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Reddit will be really interesting. I, I think yeah. that... We got such a small hint, but the fact that him and Shelly are together now and Shelly and Bobby are such an important Mm -hmm. piece. I think Bobby's still got a a huge uh, love out for for Shelly. I don't think he ever moved on. I think that's what that scene's supposed to imply. But I think what's what's really interesting, and we keep coming back to it in this episode, is that um, none of these... None of these plots are going away anytime soon. And... All of these mysteries that we still have, um, like a few episodes ago, a few parts ago, we were still wondering, like, are we going to find Ruth Davenport's body? Well, mm-hmm. they haven't forgotten it. They haven't put anything out there that they that they're going to let dangle. Yeah, like I don't no feel like this is like this is going to be yeah, but the, the way that yeah. I mean, know, there's some things like the rash on Sky Ferreira's. Well, I think armpit. that'll I think that'll is come, that come back. back? Yeah, I think I, it will. I think it will too, but. You know. If this were original season one and two to Twin Peaks, I might not be so sure because mm-hmm. I think in a lot of cases they did just put things out there and let them dangle, and if they never came back to them, they never did, and that was kind of a writing strategy. Yeah, for that David Lynch series. used, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that other other writers and directors kind of picked up on, but um, but here I feel like it's much more purposeful, mm-hmm. and and they're going to be a little bit more. They they are definitely a little bit more conscientious about what they're writing and and. They're not going to do anything that is extraneous. I think everything that we've seen or seen hinted at is going to come to fruition in some way. It may not be the way we expect it to, but we'll get something from it. Yeah. I will tell you three things. So as always, we've asked John three questions. John has given us three answers. Um, We had trouble coming up with questions this week. These were mostly Aiden's questions because I was still in the grumpy, Mm. I don't want to talk about... No, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) It wasn't, but yeah, no, it was mostly my stuff. So, and uh, John, as always, has obliged and given us three good answers. Um, First question, what's going on with the girl in the car? She asked also, why didn't Bobby really react to this horror in the front seat? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, John responded with, I don't have the first idea about the horror in the front seat, but I bet any money the sickness is related to Harry's and the log ladies and Beverly's husband's sicknesses in some capacity. As to why Bobby doesn't react, I talk it up to how Donna doesn't react to the Tremont boys creamed corn trick, which is just a Lynch style uh, favorite. And also that his father was a profoundly weird individual. Mm-hmm. So okay. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten about Harry and the log lady, but obviously they have some kind of sickness as well. Yeah, it seems like there is some kind of deep, deep festering sickness in the town. Yeah, we um, we, we assumed it was maybe the, the drugs as well that is ca- they're causing all the young people, but like Sky could be, character yeah. to be But Ill. I think there's some other kind of mm-hmm. of rot going on there. Yes, I think that's um, safe to say. But yeah, the idea that he didn't uh, didn't react because just that's what Lynch does sometimes. That's just, it's just yeah. the obs- the obscene is just 
there and you just stare into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not entirely. Yeah, we've we've seen off. it before. Question number two for John was regarding the Mitchums. We're both a little muddy on the insurance fraud and what's going on and how it's tied to Mr. C. Anthony seems to be defrauding the company. Is he doing this at the behest of Duncan Todd? Is Mr. C involved in that gambit as well? Or is that a separate thing Anthony is running on his own and Duncan is only interested in so far as he can screw the Mitchums? So maybe this is like a two birds and one stone situation that uh, Duncan can screw Dougie for Mr. C and the Mitchums for himself all while using Anthony. Um, It was kind of a roundabout question. John go back to us and said that uh, there was a post on one of the Facebook groups that explained it. We couldn't find that post. Yes. So um, he's he said he was just going to chalk it up to being the returns mill plot line, mm-hmm. which I totally, and, you know, another yeah. insurance scheme, totally buy that. Yeah. And therefore, I'm just going, going with it and taking explanations at face value. Um, one interesting thing that uh, that has come up in some of the online discussions is uh, regarding the similarities between Mr. C Mm -hmm. and Dougie's plot lines and how it seems like uh, what Dougie is doing is the opposite or the reverse or correction to things that Mr. C has done or Mm -hmm. that have happened in Mr. C's um, storyline. They both stare in the mirror at themselves. They both... Well, they have children. Uh, Potentially, they both have children, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sonny Jim is... Basically the opposite of Richard Horn, really, in every way. Right. Uh, the way, yeah, Dougie's treated and uh, treats everyone. He's just this open book. Well, and everybody loves him and yeah. everybody wants to be his friend and, and wants to be him. around yeah. him. Whereas Mr. C is the kind of guy you don't want to get into bed with, exactly. right? So um, it's, it's kind of been posited that, like, we've said this, that possibly this is some kind of, that Dougie is existing within Mr. C's subconscious and maybe he's, um, this is how he's going to come out is through Mr. C in some way. Yeah. Um, is it like kind of like a, a stage of purgatory kind of where he's re undoing the sins of the evil? Maybe. Of himself I, kind of thing? Maybe that's that's what it is. It's a it's a fascinating theory. And I think it's, it's definitely something that would explain some of the stuff. Not all of it, but... But it might it might come to play a role. Just mm-hmm. it's something to keep keep our eyes open for. The similarities that are existing between these two storylines, and obviously with within these two storylines, you've got Mitch the Mitchum brothers, who are these mobsters that we've already talked about are not exactly yes. cookie cutter mobsters. Yeah. Contrasted with you know the gang of baddies that Mr. C is associating with, who are absolutely the kind of bad guys that you would expect to find. Yeah. Um. So so this kind of maybe maybe that's where the Mitchum brothers. Yeah, Maybe that's what's so interesting about in, the Mitchums, yeah. right? Is yeah. that they are um, like Janie E and like some of the other characters that we've met in Dougie's storyline. They are kind of stock characters who have been subverted a little bit, which yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. So we, we have tweeted that out. So hopefully you guys are, are able to check that out um, on our Twitter feed. Third question. How long until we end up at Jack Rabbit's palace? Mm-hmm. Very important question. Uh, John's take is Jackrabbit's Palace will be near the end. And wouldn't it be wild if there's a little blonde-haired girl with pigtails waiting there? Um, which, yes. I, I, I don't know what's going to be waiting for us when we get there, but I think it'll be very, very interesting for sure. And I, I tend to agree. I think it'll be pushed back a little bit. I think some... I've seen a couple articles saying, like, oh, no, Cooper's coming back next week. Like, that's going to be the third act is after uh, everybody's come together at, at 
Jackrabbit's Palace on October 1st or whatever it's supposed to be. I, I, I tend to think that that's probably what'll happen. Yeah. It'll, it'll be sooner rather than later. I can't imagine that we're going to get only two episodes of of Climax and Denouement, right? Like, it's going to be... Mm. there. We've got seven hours left, so um, I'm expecting, like, another one to two hours, and then we'll have an, a good, solid five or six hours of hmm. rounding up the bad guys and setting things to rights. So that's what I'm thinking you're, is going to happen. Okay. I, I'm I'm with John. I think this will be near the end. I think the return is, is one of the last things we'll see. But, um, yeah, we'll wait and see. I guess this is the bickering part of Bickering Peaks. We're going to throw yes. down. We're going to... No, that's not that's not how we one do of things. us will be wrong and it'll be you and that's all <laughs> just like usual so uh final thoughts final thoughts um have you you you've turned around a little bit on this episode i have a little bit yes in and i, I kind of figured this would happen is that we'd have this <laughs> conversation and i'd be talking to people online and having watched it a second time that that things would conspire to make me not hate it and i not that i hated it that's a, the really wrong way to put this but um I've, i definitely have warmed up to it okay Fair how enough, about how right? about you? How, do you still feel? I am still a great episode? very warm on it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think there was there was a lot of stuff just going on, and, and a lot of themes that I don't think we really touched on. I think we we mentioned a little bit about um, there's a lot of guns in this episode. Yeah, and you can read it a lot of it as critique on American gun culture. I think, yeah. which um, we've done quite often in the past on this show. It's true. Talking about our our reactions to American gun culture, yes. but yes, it seems like the show is now reacting that back to us as well. Yeah. Um. In the same way that um, there's critique of pharmaceutical culture and there's critique mm -hmm. of um, a, a lot of people have pointed out the the link between consumerism, the corn and oil being the, means the, yeah. that that aid people in their laziness, I guess, is yeah, one way yeah. to put it. Right. <laughs> we've, we've made convenience stores easy to access, easy to access and corn is being produced and put into our drinks and our food and in our form gas. of corn syrup yeah. we've got gas that fuels our cars and it's yeah. r ruining the planet and um so i mean there it seems like there are a lot of big social issues that are coming up and gun gun control or gun issues in in general yeah for this episode being, especially yeah, yeah was, well they're being really brought up in drugs yeah. as well right yeah. in the last couple of episodes we've seen ups or um the last couple of parts we've seen references yeah. to drugs and which is which will make Jerry's storyline a little more interesting too, because he's he's the legal path of drugs, and, right? You know, is he going to be punished as well for his legal use of well, THC yeah, it, derived it products? It definitely depends on where he is and what's going on there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to watch. I think, uh, yeah, so yeah, I think this episode was great for expanding on some of those themes and, mm -hmm. and issues even more than than previous ones. So yeah, I still love it. I think it's a great episode. I'm glad. I'm so looking forward to, yes, next hour and then part three, or act three, I should say, as you've described it. Um, well, who knows? Yeah, well, All yeah. All we know is that part 12 is coming up next Sunday. Next Sunday. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.